Hey, this is Johnny D from Doro. Pour yourself a nice cup of Java. Kick back and enjoy the rock and roll and coffee show. Coffee Show episode number 54. I am your host, Joe Sebelia, and tonight my guest is Paul Gargano. Paul is the owner-editor of Metal Edge Magazine, which is a magazine from uh, the late 80s, mid I'd say maybe mid-80s to uh, late 90s maybe, but it was kind of like the Bible to rock and roll for me. I mean, I got that magazine the day it came out, every month. You know, when I was a kid... I used to plaster my walls with the pictures in Metal Edge and the posters of, you know, bands like Motley Crue, Skid Row, Dokken. You know, they were covered my walls, and I got them all from Metal Edge magazine. Now, currently, Paul is managing bands such as Jason Charles Miller, Drowning Pool, and Hurricane, just to name a few. And he is also getting ready to unleash some big Metal Edge news, which I can't wait to hear. Now, this was a fun episode for me because, you know, as... As you may know, I like to have a conversation with the guests and try not to make it such an interview. And that's exactly what Paul and I did. We just had a great conversation. And we did hit on things such as Metal Edge magazine. You know, we both had COVID. So we did talk about that a little bit at the beginning. We talked about the late Jerry Miller. And also we got into some business details and, you know, as far as management goes with bands. So this is a great episode. I hope you like it as much as I did. And if you are liking the show... Please make sure to go uh, give us a little subscribe over at Apple Podcast or wherever you listen to podcasts. Make sure you follow us on all the social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter now. You can find us at R&R Coffee Show. Thanks for listening. Hello. What's up, buddy? It's Joe. Hi, Joe. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you this That's evening? Good. I'm doing all right. Yeah. You know, I'm... I'm uh I've, I've, I've I got um deployed into the war against uh, coronavirus and uh, it kicked my ass for a month but I'm, uh, I'm on the other side of it now. You, so when I, did you have it? I got it uh, March eighth. I, I I knew something March eighth. I felt I is when I noticed symptoms. I assumed it was just at that point it was just sinuses, but. Yeah. Uh, March 10th, I started to feel chills and body aches. And I'm like, something's up here. Yeah. I told my wife, I said, maybe we should get tested tomorrow. Um, cause she went everywhere I went and I was, we haven't, we have been very safe and haven't done a lot, but it was just like, she's always with me. And I was like, maybe we should get tested. And we got tested on Thursday, Thursday, the 11th. And then on Friday, the 12th, she got her results like a second before me. And she like, texted me the negative results and i was like oh i'm like and i was at this point i was feeling pretty crappy yeah and i'm going damn what that's this is so weird because this is i've never felt like this before and i'm like this is so weird that we're negative and i opened my results and mine were positive oh, <laughs> shit. no it you was, know what's yeah, funny i had it was a brutal month of march to be honest with you <laughs> i had it in february 
Wow. My whole family got it. My wife, my kids, we all, my kid got it first. My son, he's nine. And he got it from his friend's dad because he was, he was over the house playing and we did not know. They did not tell us that the dad was sick. So my, so my son's over their house playing and the only way we found out is they were playing uh, Xbox, you know, and you can hear each other through the TV. Yeah. And um, his friend said to him, hey, remember when my dad was sick? Well, he's got COVID. We were livid. Wow. I, I, I had a it's, control. You know, that that's irresponsible. But It's absolutely irresponsible. Yeah. I mean, and I got it. I We have figured out at this point that I got where I got it. And we're fairly certain that I got it from a person who was asymptomatic. Uh-huh. But the crazy thing is I was... I was in the studio with somebody and he had gotten his vaccine that day, his first vaccine shot. And, um, it was, I was in the studio with him and Friday, that was a Wednesday, Friday, he got really sick and he was sick until Tuesday, just like bedridden Friday till Tuesday. Mm. And it was so, because we overlapped and I got sick that Monday and it was just, we didn't even realize this till like a month later, but I were thinking what happened was he was asymptomatic. And if you're asymptomatic and you take that, that first shot, yeah. you're basically going to get COVID. That's what's going to happen because if you're asymptomatic, it's in you. But when you get that second shot, that first shot rather just exponentially increases whatever's in your system. So that's why so many people get sick after the second shots. Like I know a lot of people that have been sick after, you know, the Moderna or the Pfizer after their second shot, they're sick for three or four days, which, you know, uh, you've had it. I've had it. I'd rather be sick for three or four days than go through. I don't know what you went through, but I know what I went through. Give me three days of misery over a month of like, I still don't feel great. I mean, you're, you are, um, you know, I canceled like three podcast appearances. This is, and I'm just like, I can do that. I can do this now, but it's like, I'm still, I don't have all my taste fully back yet. I'm running at probably about 90%, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like people, people ask me, they're like, what does it feel like? And I'm like, now what it feels like, there's the two best ways I could describe it to anybody. If you're a drinker, like I always say, like, if you go to the rainbow, like we go to the rainbow and we'll be at the rainbow for like six hours. Okay. So I'm like, if you go to the rainbow, if I go to the rainbow and I'm just having like beer and I have, and we're there from eight to two in the morning. Like, so we're there for like six hours and I have like six or seven beers. I'm not drunk. I'm completely like, you're, you're fine. You never get buzzed. You're eating food. You're having a couple beers. That's all it is. But the next day you just feel off. You're not hungover. Right. You're just like, maybe I should have had four beers last night, not six, you know, but right. you're not hungover. You're just a little pokey. It's, I feel like that, that's exactly where I'm at right now. Or for the people that don't drink, I go, you know, you know how you need that first cup of coffee to just be alive in the morning. And they're like, yeah, yeah. I'm like all day. I feel like I need that first cup of coffee. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. what I feel like all day. Yeah. I missed, I missed a whole month of work, the whole month of February. I didn't have to yeah, go to I the missed, hospital I or the anything. Whole month of March. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, I didn't get any like breathing problems or any of the, you know, that kind of stuff, but the worst thing for me was I had severe excruciating back pain. Interesting. And it, yeah. And it, and I heard uh, Dr. Drew had the same thing. He was talking about his back pain that it's he had. So, it's so crazy. So I had, I had the sinuses, which were insane. And they were, they were amongst like, they were really bad sinuses. Just the way, and I'm prone to sinus issues anyway. Um, 
my sinuses were rough, but I, on top of the sinuses, I also had the flu symptoms. So I had the body aches, the chills. Um, I never really got super, super. There was only at one point where I got a really bad fever. Like, you know, I flirt with a 99 or a low hundred, but like that, that was never bad. It was, I had about a week into it. I literally, my temperature was, I didn't even take my temperature because at this point I wasn't, I was so sick. I wasn't even thinking of it. Right. Had to be, had to be 103. I was so hot. I couldn't even see like my, it felt like I was looking through exposed film. That's, it was like, Mm. I was blind. I was, my fever was so high. And, um, the one thing that stopped me from going to the hospital was that, and my doctor told me early on and another doctor told me the same thing. As long as you can breathe, don't go to the hospital yeah, because yeah. there's nothing the hospital is going to be able to do for you that you can't do just staying at home, drinking exactly. fluids and staying on the couch. So I literally, as hot as I was, as uncomfortable as I was, I was like, I'm breathing fine. So I'm just going to power through it. And I slept through it. I mean, I was, my wife said I slept for like four or five days virtually straight. It was, oh, but, man. um, it's rough and see your, your whole family got it. So you didn't have to deal with the quarantining in the right, house. Right. The, what we I, did have to do. I quarantined in our living room. So it was just like, my wife was in, in the other end room. of the house for, for a month <laughs> and I'm like, I'm literally sleeping. I'm six foot four. I wait like two fifteen. Like I'm literally, there's an ass print in the middle of the couch because I'm oh, lying geez. on the couch for a month straight. <laughs> Time for a new couch. <laughs> it's so funny. I'm like, I'm going to literally, the second everybody I know is vaccinated, we're going to have a light pulse couch. We're going to light the couch on fire in the backyard yes. and have a party because it's time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, yeah, we all had it. But, it, you know, it was hard because the wife got it two days. She started getting sick two days before I did. So we were both sick at the same time and we still had three kids we had to take care of. So that oh, made it difficult. Yeah. That's wow. horrible. I, I can't even, I can't even imagine. Honestly, my, my brother's family, the whole family got it. Um, I can't even imagine like having to take care of kids with it too. Fortunately, yeah. um, it, they think the daughter brought it home from school. Um, I wouldn't doubt it. And, and that that's everybody I know, everybody I know with families, it's interesting because everybody I know with kids and my wife and I unfortunately don't have kids, but um, everybody I know with kids, they say that the kids were the ones that brought it home, which is so crazy because mm-hmm. like you just said, you you know, your son brought it home. Um, I know a couple of musicians whose kids brought it home and they know, and it's just like, it's crazy because it mm-hmm. seems like the kids are spreading it, but they don't get it. Well, my son, he, he got it. He was sick for two days and then he was better. And then probably about three weeks or so after he started feeling sick again. So we took him to the doctor and they ended up um, getting his heart checked. Because they said, the doctor said that they're seeing a lot of kids that are getting it and then they're having lifelong heart issues. Their heart oh. stops pumping like it's supposed to. And But you don't hear about all that stuff, you know, when you hear the news and stuff. But So the stuff you hear, it's so, I mean, I, I've, I, I started in journal, I started in hardcore news journalism. I interviewed, pres, I interviewed the president. I, I, I was a, I was Associated Press. Yeah. So I was like hardcore. When Jeffrey Dahmer, um, when Jeffrey Dahmer got killed in jail, I had to go to the jail and do the interviews. It was like, I was hardcore news. And it's so distressing to me because that was like, I graduated from college in 94. So I was working for the AP 94, 95. And it's just that the difference in journalism and standards of journalism between, you know, 
the turn of the millennium and now is just in, there's just no responsible journalism anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's just everybody goes, oh, Fox News is horrible. You know what? Fox News is no worse than CNN. They're all horrible. They all have an agenda and none of them are unbiased. It's yeah. just that's and like even the, the covid coverage is just it's so disheartening, especially you don't realize it till you've had it, because once you've had it, as you have, as I have, you start to realize how inaccurate most of the reporting out there is because they make it seem like they're either making it seem like it's the end of the world and there's no recovering from it or they make it seem like you have absolutely nothing to worry about and the reality is it's in the middle the fact of the matter is responsible news coverage should be telling people exactly you know what people like us are going through because we're the average people instead you hear the extremes you hear oh no i had it and i felt fine you know i just i lost my sense of taste and smell and i felt fine or you hear oh my God, so-and-so was in the hospital and died. Like you don't hear about people like us. And one of the most reassuring things for me when I had it was having, you know, the first doctor, especially that told me, and she was a stranger. I didn't know this doctor. I called my insurance company just to let them know I tested positive. And I got a call back from like one, a 24 hour online doctor. Um, and she told me flat out, she went through, she did just like a quick physical exam of me over the phone. She's Mm -hmm. like, you know, how much do you weigh? You know, making sure I wasn't overweight, stuff like that. And she said to me, she goes, you are going to feel like death. However, as long as you can breathe, as long as you can breathe without problems, as long as you could. And I asked her, I said, define breathing problems because we can all exaggerate everything and we can all. And she said, if you can't walk to your bathroom and back without stopping to breathe, she's like, you got a problem. So she's like, if you can't make it to your bathroom without stopping to catch a breath, go to the hospital immediately. But if you can like just get up and do a short walk around your house, you're going to be okay. She goes, that's honestly, she's like, you're in the 90th percentile of people we're not worried about. So just ma- until you can't breathe, she goes, yeah. it's, it's long. so if it's just a fever and it's just everything else, she goes, I, I am trying she's like, I can't stress enough. Don't go to the hospital. Cause it's only going to be more headache than it's worth. And it's, it's interesting because I have like, I have friends who have just been like, well, you're lucky. They know how to deal with it now. And I'm like, they really don't know how to <laughs> deal with it. They just, they're able to tell us what to do, but it's not like they have a cure for it. I'm like, basically the instructions they give you is power through. Yeah, that's it. You know? I mean, that's all you can do, really. I mean, what else are you gonna do? You know? Yeah, it's it's just it's it's kind yeah. of. I, I've obviously, I've been obsessed with just reading about it and stuff because you're sitting there. And I was basically incommunicado with anybody for for about ten days. I didn't even pick up my phone, so mm-hmm. it was like you know the bands I manage and everything. I told I actually there was one band I didn't even tell I had it just because I forgot. But I you know <laughs> I told my clients I told my clients look I got COVID. Um, I feel like shit, <laughs> leave me alone if you can. And it was, everybody was really good. Yeah. Most of the bands I manage, somebody has had COVID, so they know. Yeah. But um it's it, it was it was a it was a stressful month, you know, and it was Yeah. It, and you just that was the other thing, like you said about your son. You never know if yeah. it's gonna come back. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you're just sitting here going, you know, even now I tested negative on Easter Sunday, so that was like it was basically a full month from testing negative to te- from testing positive to testing negative. But even that, I'm still you still have that in the back of your mind. You hear all the stories about people who get it a second time, of people who yeah, you know, it comes back a, three months, three yeah. weeks later. So but I got my first shot, so I go back in two weeks for my second one. I got sick for a day after the first one. 
Oh, wow. That's so that's great. So you had it in February and you had it for a month. So you basically, you were okay in March and you got your, you got your first shot. So you're pretty much on the same timeline I am because mm -hmm. what I'm expecting to do is around the end of May, I'll go get my first shot. And then that's, that's what I'm, I did. I was told just make sure you're as healthy as possible when you go. Yeah. Well, they told me that any, if you had it before you get the shot, you, you will feel it. You feel the yeah. shot more since you've had already had it. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. I've also heard people tell me that if you've had it once, if you've had it, that first shot is like serves like the second shot would for a lot of people. So like you're you actually have stronger antibodies after the first shot if you've had it mm -hmm. than you would if you're a normal person. And I don't even know. I mean, yeah, I, there's so many mixed reports about everything right now. I mean, I, just... I worked after the next day, but I was I made it through the day. That's basically all I did was make it through the day. Yeah. Um, I already told my my boss. I said this is the date for my second one. I may call in the day after. <laughs> Just giving you a heads totally. up. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 been it's it's crazy. I mean, it's I've been and it's so weird. I don't know if this happened. Did you lose your sense of taste and smell? I did not. I didn't. I didn't did have any of those issues that they talk about a lot. All right, so it's it's interesting because I was on my brother and his whole family, like I said, had it, and then my brother was checking in with me a bunch to see how I was doing. And it was weird. He called me a couple days into it. He called me. I'm like, the weirdest thing is going on right now. He goes, what? I go, my nose is on fire. And he goes, what do you mean? I go, I feel like I've been snorting ground up glass. I said, it's just my nose is just, it's just on fire inside my nostrils. And he goes, you're going to, you're about to lose your sense of taste and smell. And I said, what? He goes, that's exactly how I felt when, when it happened. He goes, it's burning, right? I go, yes. And he goes, that's exactly how I felt. And literally, I, I was drinking a cup of coffee, and this is the ultimate in ironies because I love coffee. I'm drinking a cup of coffee. I got up to go to the bathroom. I came back from – as I was walking to the bathroom, all of a sudden, you know, you're drinking coffee, and you have the taste of coffee in your mouth. Yeah, yeah. I, like, take a sip of coffee. About 30 seconds later, I get up to go to the bathroom, and, like, I, you know, I'm walking through the dining room to get to the bathroom. And, I like, literally, all of a sudden, my my saliva goes from tasting mildly like coffee to no taste at all i'm like that's weird what i that come back from the bathroom couldn't taste the coffee i was trying to drink coffee and it might as well have been water it was just like i it was so crazy that's like i it. lost it was that quickly i lost taste and then within an hour my smell was gone also it's the craziest thing so it was it was so bizarre and it's it's basically come back but i still don't have taste for certain things it's it's weird like certain things i'm craving i've never been a salt person mm. um i'm craving salt like you, if you put potato chips in front of me and i've never been a potato chip guy if you put potato chips in front of me i will literally eat a i can eat <laughs> i bought like we, <laughs> we were at costco we were at costco last weekend and they had like kettle chips like two pound bags of kettle chips I ate literally a two pound bag of kettle chips oh, in like three days. It was just, just like I can't you get You better get salt. exercising. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! But I don't. I haven't gotten my taste for coffee back yet. It's, it's you know so, what? It, it took me a couple weeks to get it back. It's so bizarre. I've been drinking, and I'm so sick of herbal tea. I, I like all herbal tea at this point tastes the same to me. It doesn't matter what flavor it is. I've got like the. And I've, we have we have a lot of herbal tea because my wife drinks a lot of herbal tea. But it's like I'm at the point I was really enjoying it for a couple of weeks, and now I'm just like so sick of it. But the thought of coffee just doesn't even sound good yet, which is so strange to me. It's like, oh, you know, it's weird because I forced myself to drink some coffee. 
because I didn't want it. I didn't want it just like you're saying. And I'm like, man, but I love it. So I made a I made a little bit, and then I started drinking it. And now I'm now I'm good. Well, the other impact, like for me at least, is it goes back to what I said earlier about you know when you if you if you're a coffee drinker, you need that jolt of coffee when you get up in the morning. You know, you go, and uh, it's interesting because I also wonder that as much as I don't have the I have I don't have the taste for it. But if I force myself to drink a cup of coffee, might that jolt knock a bunch of this other stuff around a little bit and have me feeling better? That's like the other, yeah. which I know it sounds crazy, but if you're a coffee drinker, you know what that means. Yeah. <laughs> well, make yourself a pot of coffee while we're talking. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. So yeah. It's, but it's been crazy. But yeah. Uh-huh. So, uh, so welcome to the Rock and Roll and Coffee Show, Paul. Thank you. Thank you. It's not, it's the rock and roll and coffee and COVID show. Yes. <laughs> hey, I did, you know what I wanted to ask you before we get into, to your journey is, um, that promo pick you sent me, is that door from the elder? Yes, it is. <laughs> where, where that is that? Is, where was that? That taken? is in, um, Las Vegas. There is a kiss golf course. A kiss mini golf. I don't even know what still is. I haven't been to Vegas since before COVID, so I don't know what's. Uh, I don't know what's there and isn't there anymore. But yeah. there was in the basement of the Rio, in the back corner of the basement of the Rio Hotel and Casino, there was a kiss mini golf course, and it's. They also have, in addition to the kiss mini golf course, it's like a whole. Obviously, it's a whole kiss store. And they also have like museum type stuff and it's all kiss. Ah. And, um, that is, that was in front of, yeah, that was in the back of, it's in the, it was in the back of the uh, store. Ah. The golf course is to the right. It was to the left in the back of the store. I see. Man, kiss has got it locked down. I got to get a picture with this. And she's like a door. I'm like, no, that's the elder. (laughs) She's like the what? I'm like, just take like, the picture. I'm sorry, it wasn't Animalizer Asylum. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when I, I live out here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and when I moved out here, they had a Kiss Coffee House. You ever see one of those? No. It it's a huge like a Starbucks, but it's Kiss. And they had like one of Paul's boots up one corner of the building, jeans up one building one corner of the building, and it, they sold Kiss Coffee there. Was the coffee any good? Yeah, it was just coffee. It, would, it was just your it would be fun, coffee. It would be funny if they had the coffee, like you you do the coffee by albums. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like this, this is the most watered down coffee. It's, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't yeah. want to pick on a record because that would be mean. I love Kiss, but it would be really funny if they did it by like eras. Yeah, you know, no, I'm I, not I, as big. I'm not as big an 80s fan of Kiss. I just the 70s Kiss I just worship. Uh-huh. So it was like, for me, it would be like, you know, the watered down decaf would be like asylum. <laughs> I remember the bag I bought. I might still have the bag somewhere too. I don't think I opened it, but it was, uh, had the cover of, uh, love gun on it. Nice. I, I forget what yeah. it was called. Though. I've had, I have a bag. The, what I, what I have right that I have not been able to drink since I haven't had it in a month, but I've got a bag of Charlie Benante's coffee from anthrax. How is that? Um, it's it's really good. Charlie and I have very similar tastes in coffee, so it's uh, it's it, it's really good. It's dark. I, I'm a big fan of dark coffees. Yeah, um, dark and strong. I don't put anything in. Be black, and uh, it's, I'm trying. To, I'm checking to see the name of it to do proper promotion. Uh, the <laughs> Devil You Know. It's Benanti's blend. The Devil You Know, and it's it's a dark coffee. Um, I like it. It's good. It's solid. Yeah. Well, I'll, um, I'll have to check that out. 
I would say I've gone through. I just found I found the remnants. I mean, I found the remnants of one of the first people that did coffee. Like literally, it was a, hey, it was a decade ago. Dave Mustaine did his own coffee. Jeez. Oh, and I literally in the back of my freezer, I found like just literally the the remnants of the bag. You know, there was just a couple beans left in it. I was just like, oh my god! Like he was really like Dave Mustaine was so far ahead of everybody else. Yeah, doing that. I got to give the guy credit for. I'll give Dave Mustaine credit for everything because I love Megadeth. But but the. Uh, he was he was one of the first. I got the bag. I'm I'm like I'm not even gonna throw the bag out because I'm like oh I'm gonna get the bag and get him to sign the bag next time I see him. Are you are you into but, like coffees and stuff? Yes, like, I love coffee. So are you you like know all your shit about coffee? Um, I don't want to get called out by the ultimate like like I don't want to. I am definitely not like a coffee snob where I can get into like sipping something and going oh that's Ethiopian yeah, yeah. oh that's from here that's from there. I'm definitely not like that. However, I am, I like wine. I'm far ahead of coffee where I am with wine. You know what I mean? Like yeah. coffee, I, you know, we won't, I managed drowning pool. We went to Guantanamo Bay in Honduras for a couple shows with the military. And I made it a point. I bought Cuban coffee. I bought Honduran coffee. Um, if I'm in Mexico, I'm buying Mexican coffee. Like wherever I go, I'm, that's the thing I'm buying is coffee. If coffee is something they're known for, I'm coming home with coffee. Um, nice. The I'm very particular about the way I like it. I'm a huge, huge. I like dark. Like I said, I only drink coffee black. You'll never see me put anything in it. The only way I'll put something in it is if I'm drinking it for pure sustenance to stay awake, and mm -hmm. it's the worst coffee ever. <laughs> then I'll throw like I'll throw like a creamer in it or something just to dilute it because bad coffee is bad but <laughs> yeah 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 the, yeah uh, but i'm so i'm 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 a fan i'm a big fan i know more than some people but i'm definitely i would not consider myself a coffee nerd you know what i mean there's yeah. certain things that i could talk to anybody about um coffee i feel like i'm in the middle of the pack yeah i'm trying i'm just starting to learn about coffee because uh keith nelson from buck cherry i had him on a couple weeks back and he busted my balls about coffee because we weren't what talking. Was he well, we weren't talking about coffee, and then towards the end oh. of the show, he, he brought up. He's like, "I thought you were going to." He's like, "I want to talk about." I know, I know, I love Keith. Yeah, he, he, but he's all into the coffee. So, I oh told, yeah, I told him I'm going to brush up on my knowledge, and I'll have him back on, and we'll only talk about coffee. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> I had a, I had a fantasy baseball column that I did. Uh, God, this is this is probably this is 15 years ago, if I had to guess uh 15 12 to 15 years ago and i called it coffee talk and every morning i would do a column about like players that people should look at from the night before um it was uh it was fun i liked it but yeah i mean coffee's a i used to i mean it started in college i used to drink like because we would be up studying all night and stuff and we there was a there was an ihop across the street from our dorm so we would literally just go sit in the back booth of the ihop and drink coffee all night and like the night shift the night shift waitress loved us we would just sit back there order fries and we would like study in there because if we're in our room we're going to get distracted so if you're in an yeah. ihop you got nothing to get distracted by and um yeah so that's when it started for me and i've i've never been good at sleeping like if you give me the opportunity i'll you know i, I was in milwaukee for college i lived in milwaukee a bit after college and i would rather get in the car and drive to champaign illinois for a show then see it you know what i mean i'll, yeah, I'll just yeah. get in the car and drive six hours and i won't think anything of it so you're always you're fueled by coffee by about three o'clock in the morning yeah guys. yeah no i hear you i'm the same way yeah but it's like the past i'd say the past 
I went off of it for a while. Um, I went off of it for a while. I was having just little, I just wasn't feeling right. And uh, I went to a cardiologist and he was like, do you drink a lot of coffee? I'm like, uh, one Mr. Coffee a day minimum. <laughs> and he just looked at me and he goes, dude, he goes, that is literally worse for you. He goes, you might as well be doing cocaine. Like seriously. <laughs> He's like, that is like, he goes, you got to lay off the coffee. So it was like, I, I literally went through, I just did a cold Turkey, no coffee. Um, did you get a headache? I, uh, it was it was so funny. I was working at Century Media at the time, the record label, and I was I said to my whole department, I was just like, "Hey, just for the record, um, I, I'm off coffee, so just stay the hell away <laughs> from me because I'm gonna bite your head off." The first day wasn't bad at all. The second day was, eh. The third day I was a demon possessed, and then I was perfectly fine after that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've given it up once before for no reason other than. I just, it wasn't working anymore because I was drinking so much of it. And I was just like, I'm just going to give it up. Um, and I had no problems at all. I don't, I didn't have it. I haven't had coffee for almost a month and a half now with this dealing with COVID. And it's interesting. I don't know if I had withdrawal because I had such bad headaches right. anyway. Right. <laughs> there was no way to tell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How would you know? But all right. Well, so look, let's talk about your journey a little bit. Listeners are probably going. I want to. I want to. I want to piss Keith Nelson off and just talk about <laughs> coffee the entire time, and then maybe uh, a little buck cherry in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? When I when I do uh, brush up on my coffee knowledge, maybe all three of us will get on and talk about coffee. <laughs> <laughs> I worked. I worked on a buck cherry record at Century Media. I love those guys. Yeah, he, he so. was great. He was great. But look, so I mean, of course, everybody knows you from Metal Edge. That is where of your name. Um, mm -hmm. Metal Edge was huge for you. But before Metal Edge, I mean, how did you get started in journalism? Um, first thing I ever did in journalism, I was it was in between high school and college. I was always kind of obsessed with politics. I was always, I don't want to say obsessed because that makes it sound creepy, but I was very into politics. So like I was debate team. I was model UN. I did anything involving politics and government. I was super into in middle school and high school. So I started writing for a local, just a local free black and white zine that was, it was, I, God, I think it was called what's happening. I'm not positive though. It's a long time ago, sure. but it was, it was in, it was in the new Haven area in Connecticut. And I started, I just picked it up sometime and they said they were looking for writers. And I literally just, um, I, there wasn't even email back then. I, sent them a letter saying I'd be interested in writing. They wrote me back and asked for a writing sample. And I wrote something about something political. It was about David Duke. Um, mm -hmm. At the time, David Duke was running for president and there was all this controversy over whether he should be allowed to run because he was KKK connections. And I wrote this piece just basically defending his right to run and defending America's right not to vote for him. But I'm like, you know, we live in a democracy and anybody should be able to run for president. That doesn't mean right. you have to vote for him and don't vote for him, but he's entitled to run. So I, that was the first thing I ever wrote. They loved it. They printed, I just sent it to them as a sample and they printed it in the magazine and it was like on the front page, like it was a big deal. <laughs> nice. And, um, I did a little bit with them. I kept doing political stuff with them. Um, and, there was a public enemy concert coming to Toad's Place in New Haven. 
and they asked me if I wanted to cover the Public Enemy concert. I'm like, why the hell would I want to cover Public Enemy? <laughs> like, I was just like, well, why are you asking me to cover Public Enemy? They're like, well, they're a political band and you're into politics and none of our music writers want to do it. So I was like, oh, yeah, I'll do it. Whatever. Yeah, sure. So I like the first thing I ever did was covering a public. The first music thing I ever did was covering a public, public enemy enemy. concert. Okay. Um, and then I got to college. I did radio. I had metal radio. I had a metal radio show at college. Didn't write at all. Um, going into my junior freshman, sophomore year, I always did radio. I did radio. Um, my. And I wasn't, like I said, wasn't writing at all. I was a football player in college. I was a swimmer in college. I, I was not, it just wasn't even on my radar to write. Mm -hmm. And my junior year, towards the middle of the first semester, I was, I was that metal guy. I was, there were like three or four of us in the entire Marquette University that had long hair. And I was one of them. And I was, you know, I looked like I was into metal in classes. And some girl, I had a Bon Jovi, I'll never forget this, I had a Bon Jovi shirt on. And she gave me, she just made some like comments. She's like, are you really a Bon Jovi fan? And it was just one of those, like looking the way I looked, I'm like some preppy girl asking me if I'm really a Bon Jovi fan. I gave her some snotty. I'm like, no, I'm wearing the shirt because I want you to talk to me. I'm like, you know, some stupid yeah, comment yeah, like yeah, that yeah. back to her because I've always been smooth with the ladies. And um, that is pretty smooth. she goes, no, no, no. She goes, no, 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 I'm serious. She's like, I'm, you know, I'm one of the editors for the school newspaper and Bon Jovi's coming to Madison. And the record label wants us to review the album to promote the show. And we don't have anybody that likes Bon Jovi. And she's like, I, you know, I've had two English classes with you now. I know you're a really good writer. Would you want to review the Bon Jovi record for us? And I was like, yeah, I'll do that. I'm like, yeah, why not? Like, yeah, right. sure. How hard, could it, how hard could it be to write an album review? Right. Um, and I'm like, I've read enough of them. I'm a really good writer. So, of course, I could write an album. Who can't write an album review, right? <laughs> <laughs> and literally that happened um i wrote the album review i handed it in and back again we didn't even have computers like if right. you were fancy if you had a word processor back in 1991 um the the uh i handed it in and the, they loved it the record label loved it so the record label then called and said hey would this guy like to interview someone in bon jovi and i was like and so she's the girl like calls me and she's like hey would you like to interview somebody in bon jovi and i was just like i've never interviewed anybody before but how hard can interviewing somebody be i read interviews so yeah, this, this interview was your first bon interview <laughs> your first interview was bon jovi. bon jovi so 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 i it wasn't john i got david bryan yeah um but you know i did my research i i knew my stuff because bon jovi was one of my favorite bands i like did my i did my research to and here's the thing back in 2000 it wasn't 2001. I'm sorry. It was 1991. I'm sorry. 2001 yeah, yeah. is completely wrong. It was 1991. Back in 1991, doing your research meant literally trying to find whatever you could find about Bon Jovi, like going to the library and looking up microfiche yeah. articles because you didn't have – the internet didn't exist. It was like there was no way to just research Bon Jovi. You know what I mean? You know what? I you, never you really thought about that. Now that you say that, it, it's, <laughs> it's insane. Like you had to really, really know your stuff. And yeah. I, I kind of, you know, I just started like, you know, going through the library, looking for Bon Jovi articles and finding stuff, you know, finding the old cover he did with Rolling Stone and just reading whatever you can. And then of course I didn't want to be rude and ask David Bryan a whole bunch of questions about John. So I'm trying to find out anything I can about David Bryan. And there's just not a lot 
because yeah. I mean, who, who, who wants to interview David Bryan? <laughs> Not a lot of people. So who gets to the college guy who's never interviewed anybody before. <laughs> so it's like, but the interview went really, really well. I mean, I thought it went well. It didn't feel uncomfortable. And I was by no means back then was I the talker that I am now. Like I can, I can fake my way through an interview with anybody right now. Like mm-hmm. give me a gardener who can't speak English and I can interview him. Like I'm, <laughs> I can do anything now, but back then, like, it's pretty intimidating getting on the phone and interviewing someone like that, especially when it's your favorite band and that's not what you do. Um, it went really well. I filed the story and it was interesting. While I was filing the story, there was this fight happening and not a fight. It was an argument happening behind me because you had to go down. I had to go to the school newspaper and we had these big consoles. They were, they were like, computers but all they were was for the newspaper so mm-hmm. you literally you inputted your story into the computer and then it automatically formatted it and sent it to the people who do layout and it was just a dedicated machine it had a name and i don't remember what it is but this was like the olden days hmm. so you, and you had to like save your story a certain way and you had to do things a certain way so i was filing my story and it's kind of a, it was a clunky process it was really difficult and it's like really annoying to have this like girl behind me yapping up about something <laughs> that was it was annoying me. I'm like, just what are you talking? And finally, I turned around and I gave him a dirty look. I'm like, what are you guys talking about? It was like there was a priest there because I went to a Jesuit school. There was a priest. There was the one of the professors from the journalism department, and then like three students, and they were arguing. And I finally, and I just stopped and I was paying attention. They were arguing about an abortion ad that was placed in the school newspaper. Okay. The the students that sold it because the students it was we had one of the bigger student newspapers in the country definitely in the mid one of the biggest in the Midwest one of the bigger ones in the country and um, the students would sell advertising so one of the ads was for an abortion clinic and the they got in trouble for running it so the priest it sounds like I'm telling a joke so the priest the professor and the students the priest the professor and the students were there arguing and the students were going this is our First Amendment right. We're freedom of speech. We're allowed to put whatever we want in the newspaper. And they're going, no, you don't. You don't have a right. This is not appropriate for a Catholic. And, and literally, I, I know nothing about journalism at this point other mm-hmm. than I just interviewed David Bryan, right? So I'm like, I, I don't know anything about anything. And I just, but I know about politics. And like, if you're going to argue the Constitution, don't argue it with somebody who understands politics. And yeah. I turned around and I was just like, what are you guys arguing about? And she goes, oh, just file your story. Don't worry. She dismissively was like, just file your story. Don't worry about it. And I'm like, just know what you're talking about and don't annoy me. And she's like, what? <laughs> and I'm like, you don't know what you're talking about. And she goes, just, you don't know. What are you talking about? And the, the priest goes, hold on. I want to hear what he has to say. Hold on. He's like, who are you? And I have long hair. You know, I'm long hair. I'm probably in a Slayer shirt. I'm in long hair. And I'm like typing this story out. And I go, all I hear is you guys arguing about the First Amendment and your freedom of speech. I go, you don't have freedom of speech at a Catholic school. You chose to pay $14,000 a year to come to this university or you're here on scholarship. Whatever the case may be, this is not a public school and it is not publicly funded. You do not have freedom of speech in a private institution, period. Like, stop your whining. You were stupid for thinking you could sell a <laughs> good abortion clinic ad for a Catholic school's newspaper. I'm like, I, like it's just you're, you're giving me a headache even having to listen to you argue about this. And the girl goes, you don't know what you're talking about. And the, the journalism, the head of the newspaper goes – He's actually spot on 100%. 
He is nice. absolutely 100%. And he's like, what's your major? And I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm English and history, blah, blah, blah. And he just, or I was math and history at the time, actually. And the kids, they, they had this huge thing where there's, they were getting really mad and they're like, you can't do this. And so they all, you know, they were standing on principle. They're like, we quit. And three, three, all the three editors of the newspaper for the departments, they all quit on, on the spot. And the teacher, the teacher just looked at me and he goes, are you quitting too? <laughs> I, go, I, I go, I don't even, this is only my second story. I don't know what you're talking Look, they're a bunch of idiots. Don't, don't come me in with them. Do I look like I'd hang out with them? And it was like, I was just being like sarcastic. Do yeah. I look like I'd hang out with those clowns? And he was like, um, you want to, let's come to my office. Let's have a talk. And I was just like, okay. So he basically, we go to the office. He goes, what's your major? And he pulls up my, he pulls up my information and he goes, um, I'm willing, he goes, I'm willing to offer you and our, the school newspaper were paid. It was paid positions. Uh-huh. So if you, it was basically, you got a scholarship. You, it was the equivalent of a scholarship if you worked for the school newspaper, because it was hard to get that position. He goes, I'm willing to, uh, I'm offering you your choice of titles right now to, for this, to be editor of the school newspaper. And I was just like, I don't nice. even know. I'm not even in the journalism. What are you talking about? He goes, I'm going to, he goes, here's the deal. If you're willing to do this, this is the deal I'm going to make with you. Um, uh, I will make you an editor of your choice. You pick the title you want, pick the department you want to run. It's yours. Um, and then I'll figure out how to get you transitioned into the school of journalism. And I go, well, what do you mean transition? He goes, well, let me ask you a question. Um, he hands me a sheet of paper and he goes, and it was a bunch of news about a robbery. It was a bunch of different facts. It looked like a police report. Uh He goes, if you were writing an article about this police report what was the what would the first sentence be and i'm like um i'm reading through blah 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 and i'm looking through it and i and i gave what i thought the lead was i said the lead is uh a robbery occurred at such and such blah 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 nobody was injured such and such and he just looks at me and he goes he goes you just passed the first two years of journalism and he goes (laughs) i'll I'll literally and i go what and he goes you just you just inverted without even knowing it you just mastered the inverted pyramid and gave me a lead. It takes most people three semesters to get that far. So you were and a natural. So he was basically, and at that point, and he goes, I'm willing, I'll, look, I will take you under my wing. Here's the deal. Boom, boom, boom. It's like, you'll get paid like, it was like, I think it was like $12,000, which is a shit ton of money yeah. in 1991 for a college student. And um, yeah. he was, and he was just like, um, your pick your department. He was expecting me to pick politics or something. And I went, I want the entertainment department. And he's like, why do you want the entertainment department? And I'm like, dude, look at me. What do, well, why, why do I, want, I don't want to be talking about like cafeteria food. I want to, I want to interview Bon Jovi. And I'm like, and I'm thinking in my head, all right, I've already interviewed Bon Jovi. So next I can interview Slayer. And after that, I can interview Metallica. After that I can interview. And he just goes, well, he goes, I think we're wasting you on entertainment, but he goes, if that's what you want, and I literally next semester I transferred to journalism. Um, I dropped. He's like, he goes, "What do you want to do?" I said, "I want to be. I want to be an English teacher. Is what I want to do." And he goes, "You're wasting your time with math." He goes, "You're already better at math than any English teacher out there. It does you no good to have a math degree if you want to be an English teacher." He goes, "Switch to journalism." So I ended up going. I ended up my finals ended up being English and journalism, and I just i won awards at the school i mean it was just like i was i interviewed garth brooks i interviewed billy joel i mean i interviewed robert plant i was doing everything in college 
And um, that was pretty much where it started for me. And so, then, so this guy got you really kickstarted your career. Yeah, no, I mean that was that it was it was purely accidental. I mean yeah. it was absolutely accidental. I I never intended. I was never like, oh, I'm going to be a journalist. Yeah, it, it was literally. But he solid did you? Yeah, that's what you did. And he, yeah. he he literally, and it was all because you know I understood what the First Amendment meant. And to this day, I am the single most annoying person to talk politics with because my my understanding of politics is like beyond anybody else's because I can I can look at it objectively and not think like a Republican or a Democrat, and that annoys the hell out of people. It just it's so frustrating because everybody likes to be labeled, and at the end of the day. Look, it's not about label. It's about is it this or is it that? And yeah. it could be in the middle. And it's just it's I'm incredibly annoying to talk politics with. <laughs> well, well, I won't be talking politics with you because then I'll get myself in a Keith Nelson situation again. But <laughs> uh, and I'm gonna guess that Keith Nelson probably wouldn't want to be talking politics with me. Either. Yeah, I don't know. We but, didn't um, get into politics, know. but what was where was he on where was he on actually <laughs> Keith and I might see eye to eye on politics. Yeah, I don't know. That's yeah. an interesting one. That's so, I'm not even going to go. So you were, yeah, so that you, was that was it. And then I basically I was doing so much with the student newspaper. Like I was, I interviewed Clinton when I was in college. Like I I literally I basically had run of the college newspaper because I I turned down the executive editor's the editor in chief's job twice because I loved doing the entertainment stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but I was able to do like any story I wanted. Like Bill Clinton came to Milwaukee to talk at a uh, to talk at the Italian Community Center about his health care. So this is probably ninety. This is probably ninety two at this point. So he came to talk about his health care, and um, it was either ninety two. It might have been ninety four. It was either ninety two or ninety four. But he came in to talk about his health care proposals. And they were, they were all the whole news department got shut out. They were just completely, nobody could get access to, to the Italian community center where he was speaking. And I'm like, if I can get access, am I all, if I can, I get access. Could I have the story? They're like, if you could have, if you can, if you can get access, you could have the story. Yeah. And I literally called the Italian community center and it's just, I didn't know any better. You know, yeah. I called the Italian community center and I asked for this, like several months earlier, somebody called me and asked me if I would do something on Frank Sinatra in the school newspaper. And I was like, they, they were, they had slow ticket sales or something. And they were like, can you help? I'm like, yeah, I'll throw something in the paper. Um, and they were like, if you ever need anything, let us know. And I was just like, well, they said, if I ever need anything, let them know. <laughs> so I literally called and I said, here's the deal. I'm cashing in that favor. Can you get me into the Bill Clinton? Can you get me time with Bill Clinton? And they're like, well, let's get back to you. And literally the secret service called me the next day. And we're like, we need X, Y, and Z from you. You've been, you've been submitted as press and, as long as you check our background check, you'll be able to talk to Bill Clinton, blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, what the heck? <laughs> That's huge. I mean, that was literally, that was literally how things evolved for me. And it was Man. just, you know, not, it's, it, it's crazy because it's just, that's unheard of today. You know what I mean? It was yeah. just, it was, that was 1991, 1992, 1993. It was a different world back then. Now you, um, you were into the rock music back then? You were saying yeah, you I, was, had I, was, I was obsessed. Yeah. I mean, I had, um, on the, in addition to that, I managed, I was assistant manager at a record store on the Marquette campus. So uh -huh. I was always, um, I, I assistant manager. I was basically the guy at the Ticketmaster machine whenever tickets went on sale. Yeah. So I basically had like front five rows to every show that came to town. It was like, yeah. um, 
but yeah, that was, I was obsessed with music did you, and that was everything in my journalism classes. Everything I did was geared at music. Did you ever play um, an instrument? Hmm? Do you play an instrument or have you? Ever? I do not. I do not play an instrument. No, no. Okay. I actually just made my recorded music debut. Well, it hasn't, it's not a debut until the song comes out, but I actually did one of my artists I was in the studio with and they made me do, it was my first time out after having COVID and they made me do a, they're like, we need you to do backing vocals. I'm like, I can't sing. Nobody wants to. They're like, no, no, no. It's gang vocals. Think, think like, think like, think like Wildside from Motley Crue. I'm like, oh, I could do that. Okay. So, yeah. like, so I've made, I'm appearing on a record for the first time. <laughs> nice. Can, can you hear yourself in there? I can hear myself in there. Yeah. I mean, I've got a pretty, I've got a pretty distinct voice. So it's, you could totally, if you, if you know what you're listening for, you could hear me in there. Yeah. Yeah. Can, can you say the song or no? What? Can you say what song or no? Uh, it's the artist, isn't it? I, it's probably, to be honest with you, uh, the artist isn't out yet. Okay. It's, uh, and to be honest, the song probably won't be on his first EP. It'll probably be on his second EP. Okay. But uh, so it doesn't, I, I could tell you, but it wouldn't even matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was going to try and look it up and, and try and hear Paul singing. <laughs> I could tell you, I mean, I could tell you, but it wouldn't even matter right now. It wouldn't mean anything because yeah. I'm like, we, we literally, we don't even have social media pages for this guy up yet. It's sure. like that new. Sure. It's so, the, uh, so, okay. So you went through, all the the political stuff with the news, newspaper and then yeah and how then did I got, you so, get into so that all happened um i was an entertainment editor i was i mean it's, i mean i'm not i'm not tooting my own horn i won sure. awards so mm -hmm. i was like i was doing a pretty amazing job and um then there was the associated press marquette marquette was a pretty i mean marquette was a highly respected is a highly respected school i should say not was but they the ap would go to marquette to find um, find editors when they needed them. And because when I graduated, Dahmer was in full, there was, they literally had one associated press reporter that was dedicated to Jeffrey Dahmer. That's how big a story oh, wow. it was in Milwaukee. So they were looking, they were looking for somebody to come in for a, for a postgraduate, like after you graduate, they wanted somebody to come in and work for the associated press in Milwaukee. And I kept seeing the job posting in the journal in the journalism school, and I just I had no interest in it. I was just like, nope, it's I want to go into I want to go into music. I love doing the music stuff. I want to go into music. And that same professor who got me in called me into his office, and he's like, "Here's the deal." He goes, "I think you should apply for this job," and I'm like, "Not interested." And he's like, "Why not?" And I'm like, "Look at me." I'm like, I'm not, and he's like, he goes, here's the thing. He goes, you're the best journalist. I, he goes, you're one of the best journalists I've ever taught. And he goes, um, and he's, he knew how to push my buttons. He's like, everybody, everybody that interviewed from Marquette, they've said no to. He's like the editor in chief of the paper, everybody, all the people, like all the people that took themselves so seriously. And I wasn't even taking myself that seriously. I was just like, this is, I'm having a blast doing this yeah. and I'm good at it. That's it. He's like, everybody else got denied. And he goes, I feel fairly confident that you'll get the job. And I'm like, I'm not cutting my hair for a job. I had super long hair. I'm like, I'm not mm -hmm. cutting my hair for a job. I'm just not, I said, I'm not interested. And he goes, look, I got you into this. Can you just do me a favor? Go talk to the bureau chief for the Milwaukee Bureau of the Associated Press. And I said, fine. I said, fine. For you, I will go talk to him. And I'm like, I'm not getting this job. <laughs> and I went in. I sat down with the bureau chief. You know, I put a suit on. I went in. I sat down with the bureau chief. Took me to lunch. And he was just like, here's the deal. He goes, um, I took a test. First thing I did when I got there, I took a test. I, it was a writing test. 
and um, he takes me to lunch and he goes, here's the deal. He goes, I've, you are, he goes, <laughs> he goes, I've heard all about you. And, you know, it's kind of that like wise ass, you know, the wise ass superhero who's like mild, who's just a complete sarcastic wise ass. And he's like, he's like, I've heard all about you. I'm very good friends with your advisor. He's told me you have no interest in this job. And he goes, let me put it to you bluntly. He goes, you're one of the best candidates. I've, you, you tested better than literally any other candidate that's taken that test. Um, he goes, there's something innate in you when it comes to writing. And you took the test in like half the amount of time it takes most people. And he goes, do me a favor. He goes, give me nine months of your life. Worst case scenario, you can say you work you as an editor for the Associated Press. He goes, give me a year of your life, not nine months. He goes, give me a year of your life. Um, and look, I'll guarantee you, I'll guarantee you at the time it was like, I think it was forty-one thousand dollars, which in nineteen ninety-four was a lot of money. Oh, yeah. And in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, it's even more money. Yeah. He's like, I, I will guarantee you. He goes, I'll, right now, all you have to do is graduate. I will guarantee you a salary, um, and you will have a job. All you need to do is graduate. I don't care if you graduate with D's. Just get that diploma. That's it. You've got a job. Nice. And I just looked. And I'm like, how do you say no to that? Like, <laughs> yeah. I, and I'm like, and I'm like, and I'm like, and I'm waiting for him to tell me I got to cut my hair. And I'm like, all right. And I'm like, and you're going to want me to cut my hair. Right. And he's like, I don't care. He, he goes, all I'm going to ask you to do is put your hair in a ponytail. Yeah. He goes, if, if anybody, Fair you work enough. for the Associated Press. So if nobody wants to talk to you because of the way you look, that's their problem. Not yours and not mine. He goes, just put your hair in a ponytail. That's all I ask. Cause you had to wear a suit every day at the AP. Mm. So that was it. And I worked for the Associated Press for a year. I, it wasn't my thing. I did not like it. It was way too you corporate. Like it. Mm. Um, not corporate in the suit regard. I love like it was way too corporate. It was union, and I'm just I'm not a union guy. And mm. it was just it. There was just rules that made no sense to me. You know, yeah. um, they left me alone for night shift. Um, I was third shift. I was I was what was called yeah. I was the swing shift. So I was by myself from like seven o'clock at night until two 30 in the morning. That was me all by myself. Mm. I was in charge of everything. I had to get the lottery numbers out, blah, blah, blah. There was like, all. and one night a tornado touched down and literally tore an entire map, tore an entire town off the map oh, in Wisconsin. And I became, don't forget, this is before the internet. This is before yeah. cell phones. This is, this is 1994. Okay. 1994, early 95. This is before any of this. There's no internet. There's no, there's, there were cell phones at this point, but they were bricks and very yeah, few yeah, people yeah. had them. Okay. But it was like, and I was supposed to go off duty at 2.30 in the morning. And even when I was at the AP, I was, I was an editor for an entertainment newspaper in Madison, Wisconsin. So I would literally get off work at 2.30 in the morning, drive to my, stop at my apartment, which was on the way grab change of clothes whatever i need maybe i wouldn't even do that if i brought them all to work with me but i would literally drive to my girlfriend's place in madison which is about 50 55 minutes away crawl into bed at like 3 30 4 o'clock in the morning get up at 10 go to the newspaper that i worked at there do all music and entertainment stuff and then leave at like five o'clock and go straight back to drive back to milwaukee and do that so that was pretty much my cycle mm. um the because I loved music and they weren't letting me do music at the AP. So uh, it was this tornado comes in, rips the whole town off the ground. And um, I called the, I called my boss to let him know I need backup. I, I, I'm completely overwhelmed. The AP became, we became the emergency response center. 
So everybody was coordinating through us to get because we have wire access and wire access again no internet so if we were the people that can wire out information Mm -hmm. we were the most important people so he literally he's like okay i'll be right there well he thought he dreamt that went back to sleep oh no all right he went back to sleep 2 30 in the morning nobody comes to relieve me so i kept working i stayed there There there's a freaking disaster yeah i got i got in so much trouble because the union, the union, like literally the union wrote me up because I didn't get permission to stay late. Like it was, it was the most insane. Ridiculous. Like when I, when I say it was corporate, that's, it was just, the rules were so absurd. It's like, yeah. there's a disaster and you're mad that I didn't call my union rep in New York and wake right. him up to get permission. And I'm relatively new. It's not like I even know the protocols. I haven't been here for eight years. You know what I mean? And all of the, all of the writers, everybody else, there were only like eight of us in the whole department in the whole AP in Milwaukee. And it's like, Literally four of them were those like saucy, just the the stereotypical, they go out for liquid lunches and drink martinis at lunch and they're half in the bag and they just, they're crusty, crusty older guys. (laughs) And I'm just like, is this what I want my life to be? Because I'll like, it's just, it wasn't fun. And the final nail in the coffin for me was the anniversary of Woodstock. A lot of my friends were playing it. Like Candlebox was playing it. Jackal was playing it. Bands I was friends with, Corn was playing it. Like I was just like, let me go cover Woodstock because the rock, the music critic for the AP was like 70 something years old and wasn't going mm-hmm. like, let me go and cover it. And they wouldn't let me. And at that point I was like, I just wasn't interested. I was just like, so yeah. when my contract expired, I was done. I was see just, you later. I was like, I see you later. Yeah. And I, that was, I went full-time music at that point. Yeah. Metal edge came about probably about six to eight months after that metal edge asked me, Jerry asked me to asked me to start writing for her because she just figured out who I was through the grapevine. Sure. And um, she asked me to start writing for her. I eventually, I moved back to New York not long after that because my family's from Connecticut. And within like eight months of me moving to New York, Jerry asked me to be managing editor at Metal Edge because her managing editor left. So at that point, I mean, when I, the second I started with Metal Edge, it was the Jerry and Paul show. I mean, we just really? basically... I, I was a photographer and a writer. She did her thing. I mean, everybody, and that was, that brings me up to metal edge at that point. I mean, what, was, what year did you start with them? I honestly have no idea. Um, I, it was the, the only reason I asked, cause I pulled out, I still have all my magazines for whatever reason I've toted them. I'm, I'm probably about your age. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've told hundred. Yeah. <laughs> and so, but I've toted these things around all my metal edge, my circus, my faces, all these magazines. And I pulled a couple of them out cause I knew I was going to talk to you and I'm looking at them and this one I'm looking at is like 91. I, I, well, I definitely wasn't there in 91. So I mean, I could just do the math for you. The first, the first, the first assignment i ever had for them the first thing i did she bought an ozzy osbourne and jerry bought an ozzy osbourne interview i did um so that was the first thing but within two months of that i was just completely embedded so let me just i could tell you right now because um my first assignment that i ever did was a rat and warrant were playing at the rave in Milwaukee. And she asked me to do a backstage feature on that, which was one of the most uncomfortable experiences of my life. Cause what I was, just, I, wa- I wasn't like that. I wasn't the guy that wanted to be backstage taking photos of people like paparazzi. I was the guy that wanted to be taking the live pictures. And, um, 
that was a really hard adjustment for me at Metal Edge because I'm not a guy who loves getting my picture taken. And I wasn't, it wasn't about me. It was supposed to be about the band. And that was a tough thing for me to adapt to. Um, well, wasn't Metal Edge, from looking at these magazines right now and from what I remember, Metal Edge was more of that kind of thing. Like a backstage behind that the was, scenes. That was, oh, by the way, that was 1996. So 96, okay. I was still in Milwaukee at the time. One of the first things, so the first I, the first thing was, was the Warrant and Rat thing. The second story I ever did for them, I covered the KISS reunion show at Tiger Stadium. So that was, that was I was freelancing for Metal Edge out of Milwaukee at that time. And then I moved, I'm like, uh, you know, I at this point I'm like, I'm doing... I've got metal edge. That's not going to, I can do that from anywhere. So I went back to the East coast. So it was like 96. And I, I think I took, I became managing editor in 97. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It would have been 97 or early 98 that I became managing editor. I was yeah. sports editor when I initially moved back, I was still writing for metal edge in a couple other places, but I took a full-time job as the sports editor for like eight newspapers um, eight local newspapers in Connecticut. So I was doing, I coordinated all the coverage with like high school baseball, high school football, high school basketball, all that. Cause I love sports. Mm-hmm. So, um, I was doing that. And I think I did that for about six months, but then Jerry called me and said, Hey, I, I need you to take over managing editor's job. She's like, you're, you, you know, business, you know, all that stuff. Right. And I'm like, yeah, she's like, I need you to take over. So that was when that happened. Like I said, it was either 97 or early 98. And at that point, I ran the magazine. I mean, she 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 decided the articles. I mean, I helped, but the articles were ultimately her decision. But I ran all the business of the magazine. It was all like anything. Her expenses went through me. Her like any all payments of the writers, everything went through me. And I was mm-hmm. the one that I did anything business related was on me. She was basically the editorial content stuff. And she and you know the minute the minute I came in, she and I just became we became very close. I mean, it was, I mean, 99% of every issue was me and her because, mm-hmm. and we just, we complimented each other very well because I love the eighties stuff. She, she didn't, wasn't really into the newer stuff. So as much as I love the eighties stuff and I could cover that stuff, um, for the most part, I became known for doing like corn, Marilyn Manson, Limp Biscuit, that stuff. And that, that kind of became, that kind of became my scene. Right. Despite the fact that to this day, if you walk into my, get into my car, it's the hair nation is what's playing. <laughs> um, I'm that, I mean, that's what I love. That's yeah. right. But it was just, you know, out of necessity, she was covering all those bands in Los Angeles. So there wasn't really a need for me to be doing, like I would go to the shows, I'd hang out with the bands, I would do stories. But for the most part, she was doing the bulk of that coverage out of LA. So it dropped down on me to be doing, you know, Megadeth, Queensryche, the band, you know, the bands I loved. So it yeah. was, just, it was, it just, we had a, we had a perfect split in that regard. I mean, it was just, a, we didn't interfere with each other at all. How, um, how did you determine who was going in the magazine? I mean, the, I mean, the first thing we would look at is what albums are coming out. And it was a different, again, when I started at Metal Edge, there was no internet. Yeah. So everything was, you know, we would get, we would get, press releases and they would just get sent to us there wasn't really a there was no internet you didn't just go to the website and top in february 2021 album releases and see what albums are coming out um like we could now we could just go right june june album releases and a whole list of records coming out we didn't have that so we were on mailing lists so we would get press kits a huge part of the job was just going through mail because we would get press kits you know dozens of press kits a day of just 
every band cds and you just get all this stuff and you've got to immediately go okay that's r&b i don't care that's this i don't care that's hip-hop i don't care that's country i don't care and then you like filter it down to the stack that you care about and then you start going through and you like i'm i'm like fixated with order like i'm i'm just very i'm very list oriented and everything so i would have lists i would just be like okay who's this band all right and i also i would subdivide by record labels and Mm -hmm. when albums were supposed to come out and then what we would do is you know, Jerry and I would get on the phone and we'd be like, first thing we would, first thing we would look at is what shows do we have coming up? So, you know, we're looking at for the rest of April, what shows are there? Okay. Um, I've got Buck Cherry here. You've got Rat in LA. I've got Buck Cherry in New York. You've got, um, you've got Marilyn Manson coming in LA, but that's not really your thing. And Manson will be here in a month and a half. So I'll just do Manson when he's out here. You could skip that. Um, Motley Crue is going to be here in New York, but they're not going to be in LA for another three months. So I should do something with Motley Crue. I know you want to do an interview with them. So I'll just do an, I'll do a live review or some, so that's, we literally would go through, Mm -hmm. it would start with live coverage. And then from the live coverage that knocks out what we know we're covering. And then from there we'd go, okay, what releases are coming out? Um, Okay. Warren's got a new record coming out. Uh, damn Yankees. I'm just making shit up right now. Yeah, damn sure. Yankees have a new record coming out. Um, so Aerosmith has a new record coming out. All right. Aerosmith could be the cover. Boom. All right. So call the record label. So then we would have to call, we would call the record label. We had email at this point, so we would do a lot of emailing too, but for something like that, we would call the label and say, Hey, um, we want to put Aerosmith on the cover of the magazine. The album comes out in June. We can put them on the June cover um we need an interview with steven jerry jerry always talked to steven because she so i would always talk to joe she would always talk to steven because she she worships steven was her ultimate favorite of all time mm-hmm. so like jerry if jerry was doing the interview it was steven tyler or the interview wouldn't happen period yeah. and um and she would talk to other guys but it always she always had to have steven in one form or another and um the so we'd go okay jerry's gonna do the interview so she needs an interview she needs an interview with Steven by this date so we can get it into the magazine in time. We're also going to need a photo shoot. So we just start coordinating that stuff and we would just look at the release schedule and Saigon kick has a record coming out. Perfect. I love Saigon kick. I'll do an interview with Jason Beeler and Chris McLernan. Um, boom, boom. So then, you know, and then we know, and then we had to do layouts. So like we would have all the articles and then we would take, you'd have a piece of paper with a hundred squares on it, which is basically the layout of the magazine. Each square was a different page of the magazine. So then we would go through and we would mock layout on those squares so that we knew, okay, this is what we have room for. If you do a five page Aerosmith feature and I do a four page Saigon kick feature and I have a two page Motley Crue live review and you have a, this, and I have a, that, and then we have, all right, we know the roundup in the back is going to take up six pages and we know, we know there's going to be a centerfold in the middle and we know there's, you literally just figure out what you have room for and it's sure. all done on paper. And then that's it. We have, we lock it. We go, all right, that's it. It's done. And then we start working. And you guys yeah, were we doing start. this across the country from each other. What? And we were, she'd be LA. We spent yeah, a lot. Yeah. We were on the phone 22 times a day. Yeah. yeah she's, yeah. she's, she was LA. I was in New York. So it worked out really well. Yeah. We both traveled a lot. Um, and that was it. It was, you know, she didn't, she wasn't into a lot of the younger bands. So like the newer stuff, like I remember like Creed, I saw Creed, I interviewed Scott Stapp before they even went gold. I interviewed Scott Stapp uh, at Livestock in um, 
Florida in Tampa and yeah. it was in Tampa. Uh, yeah. In Tampa. Exactly. And she, she just, she's like, she wasn't into it. Then she got into Creed and I'm sure a lot of it had to do with, you know, Scott was cute and everything else, but she got into Creed. So then she would want to do the Creed coverage. She had her bands. She liked, but for the most part, she was really, you know, she loved the eighties bands. I mean, that sure. was her thing. So she had the eighties bands and I had the Mansons, the Ramsteins, the static X, the power man, five thousands, like all that stuff. It, it just became, well, and it worked it, together. It, like you said, it worked. Yeah, yeah. It worked well. Yeah. Um, so you guys had a, a pretty good relationship then. We got along really, really, really well until, until the, yeah. <laughs> we got along really well until the end. Yeah. Then, uh, yeah. It was at the end. It just, she, she had some problems with the owner of the magazine and he basically, I mean, depending, depending whose side of the story she was, I was in the room, so she was fired, but publicly she quit. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was, you know, it was what it was. And it, there was, it was, it was coming for a while. We knew it was, Um, I knew it was coming for a while because I was offered the magazine. I was offered the magazine a week or two before it happened. And I was told, look, we're, we got to get rid of her. We're getting rid of her. Will you, will you take the magazine over? That had to be an uncomfortable two weeks, Mm -hmm. huh? That had to be what? pretty uncomfortable those two weeks. Um, it was and it wasn't, to be honest with you, because there right. was a lot of behind the scenes crap going on that honestly, yeah, it just, there was, it was like 90210 drama. Yeah. And um, it was, she, she'd look, and I, the same exact thing happened to me when I left Metal Edge, the exact same thing. It was a new owner. The new owner hated me. He wanted me out and it just got ugly. And, you know, I put my, I had an assistant. She wasn't the managing editor. She was the assistant editor because I, I did everything when I took over, but she was, I, and my assistant was in a really rough place because I hated the owner so much and he hated me so much. I was in LA at this point and the magazine was in, I had the magazine 100% in LA and he was in New York because the offices were in New York and he literally would call me at six in the morning, my time expecting me to be on conference calls. Because yeah. that's nine a.m. his time, and he wants to work, yeah, and yeah. I just wouldn't answer. And I just wouldn't answer the phone. <laughs> what are you? Hi, I was at a show until two thirty in the morning. I'm not getting on. And it was like, like literally, it was the sales for the magazine were strong. He had absolutely no reason to. He just wanted everything. He wanted to slash my budgets. He didn't really care about the magazine at all. And he was, he was. It was a just a bad caustic relationship between the two of us. Mm-hmm. And. It basically, my, my poor assistant was caught in the middle because I was just like, here's the deal. I won't talk to him. Uh, he let, I want, and I wouldn't quit. He was trying to get me to quit. So he kept like slashing my expenses, slashing everything. And I wouldn't quit because if I quit, I couldn't get unemployment. Right. And I knew that if he fired me, he'd have to give me a buyout and the whole thing, there'd have to be a package involved. So literally I, I was just like, and I told my assistant, I'm like, I'm really sorry, but just, if he tries to just tell him, I won't talk to him. He had, I have an assistant. He could talk to my assistant. And it was like, literally it, it was just, it was so evil. And then finally she calls me and she's like, you got your wish. And I'm like, what? You. She's like, he made me promise not to tell you, but you're getting, he's, he had, he just had me overnight, your termination package. <laughs> I was like, boom, but it was like, it, was, it wasn't the same thing because there wasn't, um, there were stuff happened with Jerry that led to the problems between her and the owner. Mm-hmm. It was just, it just, look, she outgrew in a, in a, in the simplest form possible. She outgrew her position at metal edge mm-hmm. or the position outgrew her, however you want to look at it. And when it was my turn to leave, I outgrew metal edge and the position outgrew me. It's sure. just, it's like the reality is, 
when you're the editor of a music magazine, you're not going to be the editor of a music magazine. You're probably not going to be the editor of a music magazine forever. And, you know, she just got to a point where she wasn't comfortable doing it anymore. She didn't want to be at corn shows. She didn't want to be at Marilyn Manson shows. And the reality is there was less and less space in the magazine for firehouse and, you know, firehouse and poison. So, and, and honestly, it had gotten to a point where those guys wanted to be hanging out with me, not her, which also made it ugly because like I'd hang out with Brett Michaels and I'd tell her, Oh, I was hanging out with Brett Michaels last night. And she'd be pissed off because she's like, she can barely get an interview with him. And he's hanging out with me just for fun. And she was getting mad. And it was, it just, it got to the point where she just, it wasn't her thing anymore. You know what I mean? And it, that was what happened to me. I, I got to a point where I couldn't do it anymore. I physically, I, I didn't enjoy it anymore. And when you do something like that, you have to love it because you're not making a ton of money. Yeah. Um, I had one was, interaction with Jerry one time. I was working PR for a record label and I called her. I, I was, this was down in Sarasota, Florida, where I was working. And I called her. I don't know why I called her so early, but I called her probably 8, 8.30 East Coast time, <laughs> not realizing she was in L.A., yeah. And she answered and I started, I introduced myself, you know, and she's like, you know, it's like five 30 in the morning here. <laughs> and I was like, and then it hit me. I was like, Oh shit. And she's like, can you call me back at a later time? I was like, yes, I can. And uh, you got the nice Jerry. You're lucky yeah. you didn't call her at, I believe it was seven 30. If I recall correctly, cause I was in New York, she was in LA and I think it was seven 30 my time. 4.30 her time, don't you dare call her when Jeopardy was coming on. Because no, no. she was, that was like Jeopardy. Her world clock revolved around Jeopardy. <laughs> and it was like literally, I would, every once in a while, just like, because we got along. We were like best friends. Like everyone just to fuck with her every once in a while. I'd call her like three minutes into <laughs> Jeopardy when I knew they were introducing like the people telling about themselves. <laughs> That's <laughs> evil. Like, that was probably your like, favorite part. Somebody better be dead. And I'd be like, nope, just fucking with you. And she'd be like, hi, oh, you asshole. And she'd oh, hang up the phone. Man. And I would, it was just like, yeah, it was like, it was really, it was funny. So you got, you got, I wouldn't have treated you that nice if you called at five thirty, but I also wouldn't have answered the phone. So yeah, yeah, I was, uh, yeah, but it worked out. <laughs> but um, so then you got the magazine, and then when did Metal Edge? When did you stop printing? After I left. So oh, after um, you left, okay. The I was there about a decade total. In total, I was there about a decade. My wife is so good at dates, and I'm not. I think I. It was, uh, I started writing in 97. It was probably about 2007 when I left. And so the magazine got sold. The new owner was just, he was slashing budgets. He just didn't care. It was, and I'm like, I'm, it's just not fun for me anymore because he was making life so miserable. I didn't even want to be doing the job anymore. And I'm like, you know what? It's, and like I said, it passes you by. And it doesn't mean you like music any less. It's just when you're working, when you're working in the music industry, it's, you don't, we're, we're not rich in this business. We don't make, look, we're, I'm comfortable. I'm not, I'm not going to say I'm right. poor, but, mm-hmm. but at the same time we work long hours and we don't get paid what we're worth. And that is, and I know that's true of a lot of places, but 
everybody was like, you know, all of our friends, friends who aren't in the music industry don't get it, but you work a full nine, 10 hour day. And then you have to go cover shows. You have to be at shows. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you're putting in 15 hour days, 14, 15, 16 hour days regularly. And it's like, it's a gruel and going to shows isn't fun. Like it is when you're just a fan because you're always working. You know, I can't go to a show. I manage bands now. I can't go to a show and get drunk. Yeah. I'm representing mm-hmm. people. You know what I mean? And even if I'm just going to a show for fun, you're still always working because you don't know who you're going to be. Yeah, you don't know who's going to be there. And it's, you know, it's, it's business. And that's the thing. It's the music business. It's not the music fun. And when it got to the point with Metal Edge where the amount of money I was making wasn't worth the headaches anymore, it was just time to leave. And I loved music just as much. I just couldn't, I couldn't do Metal Edge anymore. So, mm-hmm. um, that was like 97. Um, I got my package. I left. He, he put my assistant in charge and the magazine was out of business in no time. I mean, after that, he just, he, she, she was a Backstreet Boys fan. I mean, it was just, it was, yeah. you know, I, she was great to copy edit my articles, but she wasn't I mean, beyond that. I mean, I, yeah. my dog could copy edit my articles. I'm a good editor. So it's just like, but anything you write on your own, it needs another, you need somebody to look over it just because you use the wrong version of there or something like that. Stuff happens that spell check can't pick up. Yeah. She was, she was good. She was great. I liked her a lot. She just, she shouldn't have been the editor of the magazine. And they were, I think he sold the magazine about a year later. And I think about, or he sold the magazine about six months later. And I think about a year and a half, two years after that, they went out of business. Yeah. And then my, a couple business partners and I bought the magazine about seven years ago. Yeah, so, so now we, you own it. We own the magazine now, um, me and a couple other managers. Um, and what I, there's going to be huge news coming very soon, but it's not anything I could talk about right now. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, um, but there's, yeah, we've had, we've owned the magazine for about seven years now. We just haven't been able to do a ton with it because of, no, we're we're all managers <laughs> at the end of yeah. the day it takes a lot of work <laughs> so, yeah, i'm sure i'm sure so, um, well i'm excited so to hear I, what's going to come come of it that'll, that'll be yeah, interesting it's, it's it's big it's going to be on we're all very excited at this point so it's just i don't want to say anything about it because obviously sure stuff can stuff can fall through nothing's nothing's final but yeah yeah i've been doing i've been doing the podcast i've been doing the podcast we do the metal edge and other fucking podcasts with uh that's the name of it another effing podcast yeah, with izzy presley uh, right? metal, yeah with izzy so i've been doing that with him for a couple months now um i took a i obviously was not doing it for the f- five weeks i was with covid but we just returned we just returned tuesday uh-huh. so um that's you know we're gonna that's gonna ramp back up again that's a lot of fun i love podcasts as you can tell i love talking it's just um izzy's great izzy's yeah it seems like uh, a good guy. You know, I, I was, a, I appeared as a guest on his podcast a bunch through COVID and I never really knew him until COVID. We just got to, we got, he started asking me to appear on his con- on his thing and we just started texting and stuff and we became pretty close friends. And I was just like, it just got to a point where I was on his podcast so much. I'm like, why don't we make it a metal edge podcast? That way we could up the, up the exposure, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You know, I'll help you get some bigger exposure. You're helping me because I don't have to launch my own podcast from scratch. So it's kind of like, and it's just, so it's been, it's been so fun it's been thing to us, you know, yeah. other than Izzy, Izzy wanting to probably kill me at least once or twice a week, because I'm like, as, as much as I'm like a rock guy, I'm also extremely corporate when it comes to business. And there's just like certain things where I'm just like, 
dude, you can't say that on a podcast. What do you mean I can't say it? I've been saying it for 10 years. Like, you can't say it if you got the Metal Edge name on it because you know what? I'm not going down because you're saying something stupid. He's like, dude. I'm like, he goes, what are you, the man? I go, I am the man. <laughs> I am the man, yes. You are correct. I'm not the man. I'm not the man, but I'm the man that's holding you back. <laughs> so, <laughs> Well, that's so great. They uh, kind of tighten the reins on Izzy a little bit, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah podcasting yeah, so it's, it's, it i mean it it is fun doing podcasts i mean i've only been doing this for about a year now but um i'm loving it so far i used to do something yeah. you know back in i want to say maybe 2000 i had kind of mm-hmm. like a little internet radio show but that was a yeah. whole different animal than podcasts were but it's fun it really is yeah it's you know i i did i started in radio before i was doing journalism and i look i love talking it's Everybody that knows me is just yeah. like, God, Paul can talk. <laughs> so, so, um, it's, you know, I, I just think it's a great form. And honestly, I've had, I mean, I've had a bunch of eye surgeries over the last couple of years. And I mean, every all truth be told, I should be blind right now in one eye, but my doctor's amazing. I healed. I had a miraculous healing. I see better now than I've ever seen in my life. Nice. I don't wear contacts or glasses for the first time in my life. It's like, everything's great. Good, man. However, it's a strain for me to read a lot. Like mm-hmm. it's like, you know, I'm not, I'm not reading books. I'm just not, I, my eyes just aren't in that shape anymore. You know what I mean? So it's like podcasts are great. Mm-hmm. It's, um, my yeah. wife has finally gotten over the point where she can't, she's like, doesn't like when I watch TV in bed at night cause she falls asleep before I do. So it's like, I could just pull a podcast on in my AirPod and boom, that's it. There I you fall go. asleep with AirPod in my ear and I'm fine. Yeah. Um, so, so but yeah, it's just like, I love them. So you're doing that. And then you're also, you've been managing how long? God, I've been managing since 2001. So when I, I, when I moved metal edge to LA, when I moved out to LA, um, brought metal edge with me, uh, there was a band, one of the bands I was covering a lot was the beautiful creatures. Oh, yeah. And Joe Lestay hit me up one day and he was just like, I, I wasn't even in LA. I don't think I was in LA for a couple months at this point. And Joe hit me up and he was just like, can we go grab lunch? And I'm like, yeah. And he basically, we sit down. He's like, did you ever think about managing bands? And I'm like, nope. <laughs> um, and I've always been fascinated by the business side of it. Like I said earlier, I don't play a musical instrument at all. Uh-huh. I've always been fascinated with the business side of the industry. And I was like, I've been fascinated by management, but I never managed bands. I managed a band in college, you know, just that. But managing a band in college means you collect money at the door when they play. I mean, that's right. what managing a right. band was in college. But the uh, he's like, I really, he goes, we'd like you to manage Beautiful Creatures. We think you know a lot about the business, blah, blah, blah. And, he gave me this sales pitch. I was just like, yeah, I'll do it. So I, I started the first band I managed was Beautiful Creatures. Um, and then from there, from 2001 on, I always managed somebody. I always had at least one band. So I was I was at Metal Edge and I was managing the Beautiful Creatures. Hmm, okay. um, after, after the Beautiful Creatures, I, it was Godhead, who was a band I had in Metal Edge a lot. Um, the... Actually, I wrote about them. I put them in Rock on the Rise. Manson read the Rock on the Rise and actually signed them to his record label. So it's like I've I've been connected to Godhead kind of from the start. And um, I started, I think Godhead was the second band I started managing. Um, I still manage to this day. I think that was like 2004. I still manage Jason to this day, the singer. He's a solo artist now. And he's like, I've been with Jason. Jason and I have been together longer than my wife and I have been together. And um, he's probably going to be stuck with me forever. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I mean, Jason's, Jason's 
like literally one of my favorite people. And he's one of these, like one of the most gifted musicians there is. He's doing Southern rock and country as a solo artist. And it's just been, it's been just a fantastic, I mean, you always want people to be bigger than they are. And Jason is probably one of the most under-recognized artists in the universe, uh-huh. but, but it's just like, it, he's, he's gradually just getting the recognition he deserves, which is, you know, it doesn't make, it, it makes you feel just awesome to see that happen. Yeah. And, it, and it's in the music industry is brutal today. I mean, it's just, it's a different business than it was. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's really difficult. It's not as easy as just get signed to a record label and go, you know, yeah. it's that it used to be that simple, but you know, Jason can tell you, he was signed to several record labels and they didn't do anything. So it's like, mm-hmm. you know, we just, Jason has a new release that's out now. He did it completely himself on his own record label. He's paying a publicist out of pocket. He's doing things, you know, he's doing things by his rules now because, you know, it's, and he's doing better than he's ever done before, which is great. Um, Do you think that's better for bands in a way? I personally, I I manage, I have seven clients right now. Seven. um, I, I personally think you should be at a certain level before you have a manager. And, Mm. And I also think everybody has the dream of, Everybody has the dream of having the record deal. Most record deals today aren't good for the artist that signs them. It's yeah. just, a, it's a simple fact. I worked at a record label for years. All right. I know I, I ran a record label for a while. I literally, I can tell you with absolute certainty, record labels are not for everybody. And most of the time when bands sign deals, the deals aren't beneficial to them and they aren't getting what they think they're going to get, especially in the year 2021. Um, you know, we've got, I've been managing Drowning Pool for the last five or six years now, and we have we signed a deal that I think I think and the band thinks is going to be fantastic. Um, it's going to surprise a lot of people when it's announced, but it'll probably get announced in the next month or two. Mm-hmm. But it's like it's going to surprise a lot of people because they're going to be like, "How the hell did that happen?" But you know, it's it's also part of that hard work pays off, and when you do things the right way, it's the same thing with Jason. Jason's putting this record out. He just put this record out on his own. And it's his most successful record yet. I mean, his Spotify numbers are just going up every day. His Apple Music numbers are going up every day. He can't keep up with like the orders through his website for physical copies. That's what you want to see. Yeah, that's know? a good thing. Um, the, the Drowning Pool guys. Um, I'm a. I'm. I'm admittedly one of the biggest Drowning Pool fans on the planet. I. I did their first interview with a national magazine in Metal Edge. Um, I've been friends with them since before that record came out the first record came out with dave um and i can honestly say that this is the best this is the best album of john pool's career and it's not i'm not saying that i'm not saying that because i'm close to it i'm saying that just objectively the album is just amazing and everybody that hears it is just floored by it and you know you if you grind things out today you just got to put the work in and you got to be, you've got to have the belief that if I do the right thing for long enough, the right people are going to notice and it's going to get to where it needs to get. Mm-hmm. Who, it's, who it's, is, it's definitely a different business though. Who it is, is a, it is a slog and a gruel today and it was not this hard 10 years ago and it was not this yeah. hard 20 years ago, which goes back to me saying, if you don't love it, get out because it is brutal. Now with drowning pool, who is singing for them now? Jason Moreno. And okay. Jason is, Jason is amazing. Like I, and again, I, I'm not saying this, I, I'm not saying like this, this like a proud parent. This is, I'm just purely objectively speaking is, uh, he is 
fantastic. I mm-hmm. mean, he does the Dave stuff. Mm-hmm. He does the Dave stuff such justice. And he is just, he's literally, he, he's just so skilled. He's such a great front man. He has fantastic presence. I, I think he was completely, I think the big mistake that was made with Drowning Pool was, you know, by the time Jason came into the band, he was the fourth singer. And I think people were just like, we can't, we don't even know what to do anymore. You yeah. know what I mean? It's just yeah. like, we don't it's know, hard. what do we do with this band? This is the fourth singer. And they never really, my my personal thing, they never really let Jason, They nobody ever really nurtured Jason to become who Jason could be. And one of the things I had, it was a blessing and a curse <laughs> because the first drowning, when I started managing them, it was right around the time that John Hetton, Hetlinger did the did the body did bodies on the void on uh, America's Got Talent and the first show I was their manager for was at a music festival in Chicago where they were on the middle of the day they were in the middle of the day on the side stage and we got Hetlinger to come out and perform with us and it was like literally it was literally all the other bands had like a couple thousand people and we had over 20,000 people. Like you couldn't see grass. It was packed because mm-hmm. everybody wanted to see this 82 year old guy. <laughs> and like, literally that was literally the first time I'd seen Jason perform other than a couple, couple shows in like the LA area where I wasn't really paying attention because it wasn't, I wasn't thinking of, I wasn't managing them. I was just like, yeah, I was just yeah. going to say hi to my friends, you know? And Jason, Jason was just like that new guy who really didn't have anything to say to me because he didn't know me. So he would just sit in the corner and just kind of like feel awkward. And I felt bad for him. And I would talk to CJ, Mike and Stevie because they were my friends. You know what yeah, I mean? It was yeah. like, you, I didn't think of it as anymore. And like seeing Jason just completely just destroy that crowd of 20,000 people. I mean, it just, you, it takes a special person to be able to get in front of a crowd that big and own it. And he just, it, it was another level. And I and yeah. it was just like, we were joking. I was like, it's kind of like, it's, it's like Dave possessed him and was just like, dude, you're the guy and you're going to, you're going to keep my legacy alive. And he's nice. this new record. What I love so much about the new drowning pool record is it's really the first drowning pool record with Jason that they made as a band. And it's just, it goes in directions. Like there's stuff on it where there's literally stuff on it. that could be slipknot. It's that heavy. Really? And then there's stuff on, then it's also, it's got the softest, most melodic ballad you've ever heard from the band before. They've never done a ballad like that before. So it's just like, it's literally, it's the extremes and it's guys who are just finally comfortable with each other. And it's just like, look, we know, we know who we are and this is our guy and he's going to be our guy. And we'll go through, we'll go through thick and thin with him and that's it. And that's like, it's, it's just literally the album has that feel that nothing has had since center. And it's, yeah. it's exciting as a manager. That's why I do what I do because man, it, it's, it was, it was a brutal slog getting that album done. And it took us a while. We paid for it ourselves. We did it ourselves. We, we didn't, we did not play by anybody's rules, but our own. And it's just so proud to be able to see that final result. And that's, that's why I love managing, you know, yeah. whether it's Jason's record um, I'm working with the band Hurricane now from the from the late '80s. We're working on a new record. Like that, the process of creating art is just and being a part of it and building it. Just there's nothing like it. There really isn't. I mean, it's. So you um, but what I, but what I love about like what I love about the metal edge side of it is the manager part of me loves being involved and loves that process. 
the the marketing side of me, the metal edge side of me, loves getting that band out to as many people as possible. So, right. you know, trying to get, okay, there's a great Stripers album out now. There's a great Todd Latore solo record out now. What can we do for more people to know that they need to check out this Todd Latore solo record? Because it's fantastic. What do we do to get more people to know about how awesome this new Striper record is? And that's that's the, just the fantastic part of Metal Edge. And one of the blessings of COVID, to be honest, which is, <laughs> I know sounds weird to say, but one of the great things about COVID it really, it gave me a chance to refocus, recenter and figure out that I can do management and metal edge at the same time. And it's, oh, it gave me the ability to stop and go, you know what? Um, metal edge may change. It may be something different than what it was when it was a magazine, but we can still have an impact and we can still be there to help the artists. And I can treat it like a management client. I can treat it like something I can treat it like I can, I can make it a segment in my day instead of my whole life. And yeah. that was like, I, I would have never come to that conclusion if it wasn't for COVID. And that's complete because COVID just, COVID stopped the world, you know? It sure did. <laughs> and, you know, for a year, none of my bands could tour. So you start looking at everything differently at that point. So yeah. it's... Uh, well, I mean, coming from, you know, Meadow Edge and everything, what, do you, what are your thoughts on these bands that are having uh, two versions of themselves? Um, I hate it. Yeah, <laughs> I, can't, okay. I, I can't stand it. I'm friends with most of these guys. Um, I I think it's horrible. Um, I got sucked into all the Queensryche drama. Um, I was I was yeah, a, I was did, a part of the Queensryche drama because I I signed Jeff to his solo record right after the I signed him to his first solo record after the whole stuff went down and you know I I I have I'm very I'm very good friends with the Tates with Jeff and Susan and their family. And, uh, that was, that was a real rough one for me because yeah. I love the band and well, I, I signed Jeff to a solo deal when I was at Inside Out Records and, um, Inside Out Music. And he called me and he told me, he's like, oh, we got to talk. And I'm like, why? Well, something happened last night and you need to hear from me before you hear it on Flabbermouth. And I go, oh shit. And he's yeah. like, yeah, I got in a fight with Scott on stage. And I'm like, oh, I go, what happened? And, and a part of me is not surprised because I know that I knew what was going on in the band at the time. But then another part of me is just like for Jeff, Jeff's the most nonviolent person I know. Is so it? for him to say to, for him to say he took a swing at somebody, I'm like, what happened? And it was really um, and he told me and um, I was like, wow. <sighs> All right. And he goes, does that change anything with my solo record? And I go, no, not at all. I go, honestly, it doesn't. Um, there is, you know, and I, I got to say, if if anybody was in the position Jeff was in, and I know pe people are, and this is the big problem I have, and this is, people get so possessive and controlling over bands that they have your fans, and and honestly, you don't have the right to judge a band by what they do as a band off stage. Judge their music. Yeah. Because honestly, all the crap that goes on backstage is none of your damn business. And just because the internet makes it able to be known doesn't mean it's any of your business. Right. And like that, that Queensryche situation, I can say with absolute certainty, anybody who's ever been in a relationship and loved somebody would have done the same exact thing as Jeff if they heard what Scott said to him. Period. Mm -hmm. End of story. And band members have corroborated that Scott said what Jeff told me he said, so it's not, there's no doubt that Scott said what he said to Jeff and Jeff 
He didn't punch him. I'm sorry. He spit at him. That's what he did. He spit on him. Jeff's exact words to me. I go, why would you spit on him? (laughs) And and then then Scott took a swing at him and Jeff swung back. That was what happened. But Uh but he spit on him. And he goes, he goes, and Jeff's, Jeff, (laughs) Jeff's special. Jeff, Jeff has an intelligence that a lot of people don't have. And Jeff goes, he said what he said. And in my mind, I thought, what's the most insulting thing? (laughs) He just tried so hard to insult me. What's the most insulting thing I can do to him? I'm going to spit in his face yeah. because that literally is the only thing Jeff could think of that matched the degree of insultingness of what Scott said to him. So he, yeah. and that was the whole thing. And I'm like, you know what, anybody, I can't, I don't know many people that wouldn't have done the same thing. And it's just like, I got sucked into that because of my relationship with Jeff. Yeah. And I gave a statement. I gave a deposition saying nobody should be able to use the Queensryche name until the court determines who can have it. And my deposition wasn't, and this is like the the thing that everybody gets confused about. And the deposition is public record. Anybody can go read it. I didn't say Jeff should have the Queensryche name. Jeff didn't say he should have the Queensryche name. What Jeff said is there shouldn't be two Queensrykes. So what Jeff wanted was for the Queensryche name to be frozen until the courts decided who gets the name. So, and... By the letter, by the letter of the law, that there's, and I understand contracts better than the average fan. Mm -hmm. I understand contracts better than the smartest fan. This is what I do for a living. By the letter of the law, everything Jeff did was by the books, and it's you know, it's it's the business side that clouded the art side, and things got ugly and things got sticky. And my big in the deposition to, to get back to your question. In the deposition, what I said was, you've got to do what's best for the Queensryche name. And the Queensryche name is worth too much to let it get dragged down the road like the L.A. Guns name. I can't remember who I mentioned, but there was somebody in particular. It might have been Rat, like where there's two versions of the bands going on. Because I said, it's a joke. And it takes a legacy career. It takes a storied career. And it makes a mockery out of it. Yeah, The, The simple fact of the matter is... People can't get along, but somebody should. Some there shouldn't be two versions of a band. There just shouldn't be. Period. Yeah. And um, look, there's, you know, somebody owns the name Skid Row. Does that make Sebastian Bach any less Skid Row because he's Sebastian Bach? Absolutely not. And a lot of people will tell you Sebastian Bach is more Skid Row than Skid Row. Mm-hmm. That's that's fine. That's their prerogative. You know, mm-hmm. um, we don't need two versions of every band, and it's bad business. And ultimately. And a lot of times I blame it on management because they shouldn't let stuff get that bad, get that far to begin with. Like right, you shouldn't right. let things get to a point where you've got two versions of a band splintered off because quite frankly, every band should have paperwork that doesn't allow that to happen anyway. And the reason it does happen <laughs> is because somebody didn't do their job the right way and create the paperwork that says you can't have two rats. Right. That's, <laughs> well, I mean, that's part of a manager's so job, right? He's there to manage the situation, the band. Yeah. And it's, and you know, I've had, I've had so many, I'm just, you know, so many of my friends are musicians and so many of them tell me the same story about how, you know, we don't know what our manager was doing, but he wasn't doing his job. I mean, the reality is, you know, there's a very, there's a very monotonous and boring part about the job, but it's got to be done. (laughs) It's it's not fun reading contracts, but every contract that comes over my desk, I read from start to finish. Drowning Pool's contract for their new record label was over 80 pages. And I read that contract from front to back at least a dozen times. Yeah, you need the band's, to. The band's lawyer said to me, why are you wasting your time doing this? That's why you pay me. 
And I said, if I'm going to advise a band to sign a contract, I sure as shit better understand every word that they're reading. And I better be able to defend my decision to tell them to sign that contract. And literally there were things that I picked out of their contract that even the lawyer was like, Hmm, good question. And it's just, <laughs> look, that's, that's, and I'm not saying, Oh, I'm great. I'm just saying there's a, you know, being a manager, there's more to it than just hanging out backstage at shows. Yeah, there's more it, to it, it than going like on the road. Doing, you're doing your job. You know, it's doing your job. And somebody didn't do their job when trademarks aren't in place the right way. Somebody didn't do their job when the band, and I can tell you exactly what happened with Queensryche. Um, their, their paperwork said that you needed a majority. You needed more than... You needed more than 75% of the band because when they did their work and when they did their business agreement, there were five members of Queensryche. So they said in their paperwork, you needed better than 75% of the band to throw a member out. Okay. So if you've got five people in the band, that means you need four people to agree unanimously that the fifth person's got to go. And this was the wording you needed. So I think the actual wording was you needed 80%. You needed an 80% agreement to throw somebody out of the band. That was in their operating contract, in their operating agreement. When Chris DeGarmo left the band, they never updated their agreement. Mm. All they updated was that Chris DeGarmo wasn't a member anymore. So now you have four members in the band and you need an 80% agreement to throw somebody out, which means legally the three guys could never throw Jeff out because they only have 75%. Mm -hmm. Now, perfect example. (laughs) When Chris left, somebody should have changed the operating agreement. Somebody didn't. You know what I mean? It's like, and that is whose fault is that? Well, honestly, it's the band's fault as much as it's anybody else's fault because bands should always be looking out for stuff. But, you know, be aware that they they weren't. And that's that's the stuff in the business. And like all these bands that are having problems right now, that's that's it all comes down to contracts and paperwork yeah it's a huge it's a huge immensely boring and tedious part of the job i kind of love it because i'm a nerd but it's it's tough you you should teach a music management class what you should teach a music management (laughs) class (laughs) well i'm i'm partnered with andy gould right now who is he's a legend Um, the management company i work for closed during covid because there just wasn't money coming in Uh um so my i'm i was at that point i was 100 percent independent and um andy and i have been friends i mean he's just one of the most cherished friendships i have and we've become very very close and he was like we should we should work on bands together and andy's been andy worked with the beatles like andy's first job in the music industry he was the t-boy in george martin's studio so Andy, you know, Andy worked with the Beatles. It was crazy um, back in England. And it's, it's crazy because, you know, as much as you might know, as much as, as much as I think I do know, there's more that I don't know. And that's sure. why it's like, it's great. It's just fantastic to be working with someone like Andy because, you know, you learn something new every day. And sometimes it's something really factual, you know, something like, we're working on a movie project right now. So I'm learning about stuff. I don't know anything about. I've never oh, worked fun. on a movie before, mm-hmm. but also sometimes it's just like how you do business, like the way to talk to people. Like I learned so much. I learned so much from Andy just about, um, just about how to do business the right way and you know, how to talk to people the right way. And I, I think I'm pretty good with interpersonal skills, but you learn things, you know, sure. like something I learned, you know, 
some people, you know, just, just ways you to ways you tell somebody something way to break news to somebody. Um, there's, and it's, it's interesting. It's like, it's, I feel like you could never stop learning. And I've, I've used to do a lot at musicians Institute. I would like, I would guest lecture at musicians Institute often in the pre COVID days, but, um, it's, I love doing that. I love trying to help. I love talking to people who want to be in the business, but I can honestly tell you, I'm still learning every day. I mean, I learn yeah. stuff absolutely every day. And it's it, it, the minute you stop learning, you're done. Yeah. Yeah. What about um, live music going forward? I mean, I, I've been seeing a lot of dates getting booked. You think these all these dates are going to happen, or you, what's it look like yeah, for look, you? I I don't want to get political, but it's a lot of it's got to do with vaccinations. Mm-hmm. And you know, um, the reality is, I I'm optimistic. Like I've got we've got we're booking drawing pool shows right now. We're booking a lot of my artists. We're looking at shows. Um, the the we're at this. We're getting we're getting to a breaking point at some point where we're going to see what percentage of this country is willing to get vaccinated. And the reality is there's going to be a liability associated with having shows. There's going to be a, there's going to be a liability associated with having shows if you've got non-vaccinated people in the venues. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, and the reality is, look, I, I understand I'm not, I don't want to get in the way of anybody's personal beliefs. I understand there's anti-vaxxers out there. I understand everything. I get it. I understand everybody's arguments. Like I said, but we're, we're going back to politics now and I, I can look at things. I get it. I'm not, I don't, I have no interest in arguing with anybody over their personal beliefs. What I can say is as somebody entrenched in the music industry, there's going to come a point where you are going to need a vaccination to get into a show because venues aren't going to want the liability of a breakout happening at their show. Period. Yeah, yeah that could be, and lead to problems. It's 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 going to be it's going to be very very interesting to see how things are handled. And hmm. you know, we Michigan can't keep their stuff under control right now. Los Angeles isn't in. Very, look, I just got COVID a month ago. You know yeah. what I mean? Like we're not doing well as a country controlling COVID yet. The numbers are, here's the crazy thing. Like people don't realize. And again, I'm a nerd. I study this stuff. The numbers are going up, but people aren't testing in remote 50% less people are testing, but we're getting 20% more cases. What does that tell you? It tells Mm. you COVID is out there. Like it's not going anywhere. You know what I mean? Like it is literally, I'm a smart guy. And by the time I was trying to test to find out I was negative, I was having a hard time finding locations. They're making it so hard to test right now because all they're focused on is vaccinations. The reality is at some point we're going to freeze out and everybody that wants to be vaccinated is going to be vaccinated. Yeah. What numbers do we think those are going to be? Like, is it going to be 50% of the country? Because then you got 50% of the country that don't have a vaccine that haven't Mm -hmm. been vaccinated, don't want to be vaccinated. And of those 50%, Honestly, I wouldn't be shocked if a third of them had COVID. Maybe even half of them had COVID. Now you've got 25% of the country non-vaccinated who haven't had COVID before, which means you've basically got 25% of the country waiting to get COVID. Mm-hmm. And that's, look, that's a problem. Can you have, you know, can you, can you put a band into an arena and have that many people there? Can you, can you have something like Coachella? Can you do this? But it's just, do you want to take the liability of something happening at your event? And this is what people don't understand. It's not about personal freedom and infringement and everything else. It's about what is the safest way, the safest and quite frankly, 
easiest way legally to move forward with our lives as we once had them. And it's going to come like these vaccination passports. I really think they're going to become a real thing because at some point the airlines are going to go, we don't want someone who's not vaccinated getting on the airplane. We don't want, yeah. we don't want to be responsible for that. Yeah. You could sue anybody for anything today. Yeah. It's ridiculous. So I, I think I'm very optimistic that we are going to get to a sense of normalcy. Um, drowning pool or headlining a festival in um bulgaria in december Mm -hmm. um drowning pool we are supposed we're doing military dates in the middle east in fall um we have international touring planned and it is you know jason miller he just did he recorded something for a a festival in, in japan because he can't they can't fly into japan to do the festival in person so he taped an appearance for them um, it's, it's, we're in a weird place right now because, you know, we're moving forward. We're, we're booking a fall tour for drowning pool. We're moving forward, doing things as if the world's going to go back to normal, but there's still that chance that something happens and we can't go back to normal. Now, how, so how risky we're is in a that? weird, we're in a really weird place right now. How, how risky is that to book a tour though? Because if you're out in the middle of your tour and then for whatever reason, well, and I'll, I'll go, I'll go a little, I'll go a little businessy on you here. I'll, I'll, I'll like if, it up if a little venue cancels for, for the business screwed, side right? of it. I mean, here's the thing. Um, you have, you have, um, so you're booking a tour. Okay. So drowning pool have a show. They're headlining a festival in Bulgaria. Um, we no, is it Bulgaria or Belgium? I think it's Belgium. It's Belgium, not Bulgaria. It's Belgium. Um, headlining a show in Belgium. Okay. We have that show. We know how much money we're getting paid for that show. So we know we accepted that show knowing that we're going to pay this much of it for flights, blah, blah, blah. We know what it's going to cost. We yeah. have a business, you know, you get with the business, a business manager and you come up with, you go, is it, is it, is it financially? Does it make sense fiscally for us to do this festival? Now, the next question is your agent that calls you and goes, all right, you've confirmed the show in Belgium. So you've got the show in Belgium. Since you're already in Belgium, do you want us to look at Paris and Amsterdam on either side? Do you want us to make a European tour out of this? The problem you have right now is the costs associated with touring, and the average fan doesn't understand how expensive it is to be on the road, even in America, let alone overseas. The problem you run into is if I say, yes, let's book, let's book six dates around that festival. If one or two of them cancel, it throws our entire budget upside down and exactly. we go from profitable to not profitable. Mm-hmm. So you can't, you've got to be very, very careful about what you even commit to now. Like it, it's really difficult because if you put a tour, especially going overseas, not knowing yeah. what's going on over there, you know what I mean? It's, you know, in America, there's a bit, you know, it's still, there's pockets where it's hard to book shows and it's pockets where they'll take anything right now. And it's, it's not, it's not an easy decision. And it's one of those, you know, it's a huge challenge right now. I'm, I'm extremely optimistic. We're going to get back to a sense of normalcy, but I do think we're going to get to a breaking point with vaccinations where we're going to see exactly, we're going to stall out at some point. And yeah. it's probably going to be in the next month, month and a half tops where we see what percentage of the country does not want to get vaccinated. And at that point, there's going to be some hard decisions to make because the reality is we it's going to be really hard to go back to life as normal if you've still got people getting COVID every day of the week. Yeah. And you've had it. I've had it. We both know it's not hard to get. It's and like, it's not fun. And, and it's not fun. And you know what? There's people – I know plenty of people who got it, and it wasn't bad. Yeah. So I also know 
plenty of people who got it and were hospitalized. And I know I've lost count of how many people I know who died. So there's, do you want to be the statistical anomaly that dies at the age of 42? I don't want to be the statistical anomaly at the age of 50 that dies. Right. Like it's, it's, and that's the problem. You know, you, you get, you get into this, you get the safety comes into play, you know, and it's, it's, it's a liability for bands to go out on the road, not knowing what's in the crowd. It's a liability for the venues. So I am extremely optimistic. We're going to get back to some semblance of normal. However, I do think we're going to have to, there's going to have to be some tipping point with the vaccinations where, you know, a lot of uncomfortable decisions are going to have to be made because you can't mandate people to get vaccinated, but every private business can tell people if you're not vaccinated, you can't come to a show. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I have friends who have said, look, I'm not getting vaccinated until, until they tell me I can't get in on an airplane until I do. Hmm. I've got, yeah. I've got a handful of friends who are like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll get I'll get vaccinated the first chance I can once it's safe for me having recovered from COVID. Yeah. But it's like that's just me. You know, I get flu shots. I'm not afraid. Yeah, of, I'm not yeah, afraid. Yeah. They had more time. They had more time to investigate this to do this this COVID um, the vaccinations properly than they ever have to do flu shots. It was all hands on deck for a year before we had vaccines. Like no flus aren't like flu shots aren't like that. It's not all hands on deck for a year researching what to do with a flu shot. Yeah. Like I yeah. personally, you know, we're seeing numbers about, you know, six women who had blood clots. Okay. Six women out of 7 million. That is a smaller percentage of people than reacts to a normal flu shot. Like statistics, science, science is science and statistics are statistics. At the end of the day, you really can't argue it, but no, people are going to, people are going to, that's their business. But ultimately a lot of these same people are, I, I think we're going to get to a point where they're going to have to make some hard decisions because their life might not be able to return back to normal if they're not willing to make the concessions that the rest of us are willing to make to be safe. Yeah. It's going to be an interesting uh, process. See what happens. But I, you know, I keep saying to everybody, look, we want our normal life back. We got to, we got to take a little bit of responsibility for it. And, would you as far ever, as I'm concerned, I'll get a I'll get a vaccine in a heartbeat if it means I can start going to concerts again. Would you ever send your uh, bands out on just like one-off shows in the oh, meantime? Oh, drowning pool, drowning pool. All drowning pool have done for three years is one-off shows. Yeah, yeah that's okay. like we we do. It's because it, it, it gets to a point too. You know, it's we do really really. Some bands do really really well with one-offs. Like yeah. drowning pool are a very very good festival band. Um, you know, we do go to like the biker rallies. Like we do, they're playing, they're doing a one-off tomorrow and, um, they're doing a one-off tomorrow in El Paso, Texas at a casino. And, um, it's phenomenal. I mean, you know, they'll fly, they fly in tomorrow morning. They fly out Saturday afternoon. That's it. You need to bring them out here to uh, Myrtle beach. Jesse James Dupree's here tomorrow. Myrtle oh, beach. that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. We just had Jess, we just had Jesse on the um, metal edge podcast a couple, couple weeks well, before I had COVID. Uh-huh. We talked about ACDC. It was an ACDC episode. Um, okay. we did back in black versus highway to hell. I think, I think highway I to hell. That, yes. Yeah. Why can't I think right now? Cause I picked highway to hell, highway to hell versus back in black. Yes. Yeah. That was one of my favorite episodes. Actually. It was good. It was Jesse. It was Ricky Warwick and Rob Caggiano. That was a good one. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, but it's, it's, we do the thing about the one-offs is you have to get paid enough to fly. Yeah. So that's where the difference comes in. 
Um, you know, if you get an offer for a one, like if you get a six or $8,000 offer to do a one-off, it's just not worth it. Cause half that money is going to transportation and yeah. you know, it's gotta be, it's gotta make sense. That's why. And again, we do really well with the festivals, the, the fairs and stuff they do. They do really well with that because they've had a couple of radio hits and people want to hear them. So, you yeah. know, that's, that's, that's the power of a song like bodies. But, um, you know, Jason, Jason would love to do one-offs. It's just, you just, we just, you just gotta get the offers. You know, you gotta get, you know, hurricane, hurricane have a couple off. We just announced today, uh, rock festival, November, no, October 9-11. So it's September 11th in Minnesota. It's a two day festival. We're playing on the second day with Sebastian Bach and lit with hurricane. Um, so, you know, there's, there's one, one-offs happen. We do one-offs as much as we can. It's just, is that the um, same doing, show with, mm-hmm. I think, Dangerous Toys is there and Tora Tora? Um, let me look. Hold on. I got to pull it up on my computer and I'll let you know yeah, for I sure. Yeah, I thought I just I saw, it, don't saw know. it. I don't know who everybody else is. Um, yeah, I thought there was a lot of pretty good bands there. It's a really good, uh, thank you for reminding me though, because I got to post it to their socials. But um, here we go. Um. All right, Grand Casino in Minnesota Rock Rock Timber Music Festival. So yeah, it's Friday, so. the tenth, Saturday the tenth, and no, Friday the tenth and Saturday the eleventh of September. Day one is Skillet, Striper, Warrant, Kicks, LA Guns, Pretty Boy Floyd, and Def Legend. So I cover band. Yeah. And then day two is Sebastian Bach, Lit, Steven Adler, Bullet Boys, Kingdom Come, Dangerous Toys, Hurricane, and Tora Tora. So yeah, that's exactly yeah. what. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good little uh, two day show. Yeah, I like. I could Warrant or one of my. I love Warrant. Um, Warrant or one of those bands that have been just kind of like a, they've been signposts in my life. Like Warrant have just always been there in one form or another. Mm-hmm. Um, and they just they were the first band I covered for Metal Edge. Um, it's just there's 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 an attachment to Warrant like just I just I have a personal attachment to that band. I love them. I love Striper. Yeah. Um, I don't love Striper as much as my wife because she's a huge Striper fan. Um, I'm a Striper fan, but I'm not like like I I'm a ginormous absurd Queensrÿche fan. Like I have a Queensrÿche tattoo. Do you? My wife is my wife is not a Queensrÿche fan like I am. You know what I mean? <laughs> I am. I like Striper, but she loves Striper. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did you hear? Um, have you heard Sunbomb? You know no, what? I'm not that's the pro- that... that's the project with Tracy Guns and Michael I, Sweet. I I heard some of it. I heard some of it. I haven't listened to the whole album. Mm-hmm. Um. From what I've heard, like it, it was pretty good. I liked it. I mean, it, they were definitely yeah. going for that more old school metal sound, and I think they they came close to it. Yeah, I, I have to give it a listen to be honest with you, because I have it's just there's so much music, and I don't always hear all of it, and I I intend to, but it's just like I also I was telling somebody else this earlier. It's so strange because when you do what when I do, like some people listen to music 24 hours a day, and they're fans. And that's what they, I I'm listening to music all day for my artists, and I'm watching videos, I'm editing videos, I'm I'm like literally. I spent four hours today literally debating a cover song with one of my artists and other members of the management team over whether it belongs on an EP or not. And it's just like we 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 spend so much time listening to music for work that at the end of the day. Um, I literally want to put the big bang theory on while we eat dinner. And yeah, I just, I it's you. like, there's not, there comes like, and if I'm cooking, it. if my wife or I are cooking, there's always hair nation on in the kitchen always. Mm-hmm. But it's like, if, 
like there comes a point where I just need, I need the, I need the music out of my ears so I could get up and do it all over again. And it's like, so like when it comes to something like those new bands, I just, I, I can't possibly keep up with all of them. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, and again, it would be different if I was running metal edge and that was all I was doing, but I'm managing seven bands who are all creating music and all day I have people sending me, Hey, here's cut one of a video. What do you think? And I got to watch a video five times and go at one thirty-nine. I don't like the look in your face, switch out the, switch out the shot. Um, the vocals don't match up at two fifteen. switch out the shot. And it's like, you're doing that. And then it's like, you're listening to songs and you're going, you know, you you got to be the asshole that tells the singer that I don't like the way you sound. Just, there's <laughs> something that just doesn't, you know, something's awkward about the vocal. I don't like the track, but I love it. And the guitar player loves it. I, I'm yeah. only your manager. If you want to put the song on the record, pull it up, put the song on the record. I don't love it. You know what I mean? Like those yeah, are my yeah. all day. This is what we do. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I understand. You know, and then, and then in between that, it's making sure, you know, making sure the drowning pool guys have their hotel confirmation numbers. So when they get off the plane tomorrow morning in El Paso, they've got all the paperwork right and making yeah. sure they know that they're getting picked up by a van that's going to take them to the hotel. And it's like, there's all these just little tedious it's a lot tedious things and it's just like and you get you're just non-stop you know yeah it's a lot I mean, you're, you're all is. you're always dealing with drama there's always some little I'm drama sure. going on <laughs> <laughs> all it's right, like, Paul. We, so it's, it's 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 look it's it's passion i love it i wouldn't want to be doing anything else and it's just i'm you know i it's just it's it's not always what everybody thinks it is, you know. <laughs> no, no, yeah, I've I've been around it. I've I haven't done it in depth like you have, but yeah, I I know what you're talking about. Yeah, it's just like there's there's so much, you know. It's like my sister said this because my sister was never really she was always into music, but she never really understood. Like she she came out to see my brothers and sisters came out to see Drowning Pool once when we were in Connecticut, and um and because my family's all in Connecticut, and it was interesting because she she made the comment to me afterwards. She's like, I have no idea. You know, she's sitting on the bus with one of the bands. She's sitting on one of the opening bands, RVs. And she's just like, I'm introducing her to people. And she's just, she's like, I have no idea. I had no idea how much goes into putting on a show. And it's really, I mean, it's the fascinating aspect of it that honestly, I'm just obsessed with. And it's just like everybody, a friend of ours, we're on like a group text. My wife and I are in group text with like 12 other people. And most of them aren't in the music industry. I think 13 of them are 12 of, of the, of the 15 of us. I think three of us are in the music industry. And, um, like somebody asked today, what is it, what does it mean to route a tour? So it was like, mm -hmm. literally my wife and I are going back and forth, explain, but it's like, people don't realize like how much goes into you. You go to a show on a Friday night and you have a couple of drinks and you have a great time. What went into going to that? What went into that show happening? And mm -hmm. it's, it's crazy because it is months of work. It's, months of coordination it's a tireless effort by however many people are in the band and in the road crew and in the management team and the booking agents and the lawyers and the business managers and it's just it's so much the people at the venue um like what goes into like the person that just makes sure that towels and ice are in the dressing room it's like there's so much that goes into a show that honestly people just don't even can't even fathom and that's kind of the stuff to be honest, when you when you do what we do, that's kind of the stuff you got to be a sadist, but you you get off on making sure all that stuff is accurate. Yeah, you know? yeah. Well, you definitely <laughs> but, appear to to love what you're doing, so that's good. No, it's 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 you know, I like I said, I, I consider myself blessed. Um, this is I, it's a fantastic life. Um, I'm 
just, I consider myself blessed and honored that I get to do it for a living and I can pay my bills and, you know, and I, I'll go one step further that my wife does it too. My wife, my wife's in the business and the fact oh, that I mean, it means so much for the two of us to be in the business, because honestly, I've had girlfriends that aren't in the industry and they just don't get it. They don't it's understand. Yeah. It's just like my wife and I have been together for like 17 years now. And it's just, it's just so much easier when you're both in it because, you know, she doesn't have to explain a bad day to me because I understand it. I don't have to explain. Yeah. I like, we actually laugh about it. Like when a bad, like, but at the end of the day, we're in hell all day. At the end of the day, if we're like cooking dinner together or something we're we can laugh about it because we're just like, Oh my God. Yeah. But yet we do this and we love it. You know what I mean? That's it's awesome. just like, And that's a big part of it. You know, it's just like, having that person too, that understands what you're going through and understands just how brutal the days can be sometimes, but you still love it. You still love what you're doing. And yeah. it's, and it's like when you go to those shows and you see the concerts happen and you're like, you know, our bands, my, my wife and I aren't fortunate enough to have kids, but like our bands are our, our kids, you know? And it's just yeah. like, it's, it's crazy because you, you get that satisfaction of just seeing the show. And quite frankly, I'm always, if I'm on the road with my bands, I'm always behind the merch tent. I'm always behind the merch table rather. I, I just, I don't, I'm not one of those managers that just hangs out backstage and has a glass of wine and that's it. I'm right, done. Right. I'm always standing at the merch booth because if I, I just, I want to talk to the fans. I'm a fan. I was the guy buying the t-shirts. I was the guy, buy, I'm the guy sitting there and, you know, talking to everybody. And I'm the guy, who sees the guy with the six-year-old kid and says, Oh, do you want your six-year-old to meet the band? It's like, that's, yeah. that's, you know, you're trying to, you're just trying to make everybody, everybody, we have a finite amount of money. We have a finite amount of resources and you just want everybody who comes out to that show to have fun. You want them to feel like what you felt like when you were at your concerts, when you were like going as a fan. And it's just, that's, that's a huge, huge part of it. That's awesome. And if I was still just, in a band, I'd want you to be my manager. <laughs> deal <laughs> oh, man. please write please write a hit <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll do my best <laughs> just, just 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 write a hit you can do it <laughs> man but yeah, all right paul well listen yeah, man it's, it's great i i'm gonna i don't want to take up too much more of your time we've been we've been <laughs> chatting a long good. time um but yeah i appreciate you joining me tonight it was great talking to you um you know best of luck with metal edge stuff Thank you. And I'll keep you, uh, I'll keep you posted. Maybe we could, uh, when, when, when the big news comes out, maybe we could do a recap or something. We could, uh, cause it'll be, it'll be pretty big when it happens. So yeah, let's uh, do I'll it. You got posted. my number. So and keep in touch. You have, you have my information. Keep in touch. So yeah, man. Uh... all right, Paul. Well, listen, you have and a great you... night. What? No, I was going to say, and if you're looking for guests, let me know. Cause I got bands that I could, I, I'll I'll feed you a couple bands for your podcast too. So that's let's do it. I'll uh, now that now that now that, I know, now that you made it through you made it through the gatekeeper me. So now I could be like, <laughs> hey, drowning pool, go do this. Jason, yeah, yeah. go do this. Robert, yeah, go so do this. Bad talking to me, right? <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So don't worry, and don't worry, you don't have to talk about coffee. <laughs> <laughs> but you do need to brush up on some coffee. So when we get Keith and uh, all of us on the line, I I think I honestly think I could hold my own on coffee with I I I'm like I could, I don't know I man he hold, knows his shit I could I think I can hold my own with Keith we'll see but I I think I can hold my own when it comes to a coffee conversation <laughs> like I've got I if you go to my refrigerator right now uh -huh. like if this was if this was video not audio uh -huh. I would like go to my refrigerator and open it the entire you know how you have the the shelf along the, when you open the door there's the shelf along the top the yeah. entire top shelf on the right on the door is all different coffees. 
And I can tell you that I can tell you the nuances and differences between all of them. The one from Mexico, the one from Honduras, the one from Cuba. It's yeah. It's, do, do you so have I can your tell you what's machines? sweeter. I mean, the, I, I know the science behind roasting. I do know a lot of that stuff. Like yeah. a lot of people, it's so simple, but a lot of people don't realize darker coffee has less caffeine. Like yeah. that's, it's such a crazy thing. Cause you think the stronger the coffee is, the more caffeine it has, but like espresso, less caffeine than coffee because the, the, Beans are roasted for longer, and they yeah, roast the say, caffeine isn't out. It just roasted longer. What? I was just going to say that. Isn't dark, yeah. the darker coffee yeah. is just roasted longer? Yeah. The the darker it is, the longer the beans are roasted, and you lose caffeine content when you roast. The longer you roast, so it's like huh. it's a little. I I do know a lot about it. I'm 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 a nerd like that. There's the things I love, and I'm I'm a vinyl junkie. So like if like I could literally sit and talk about vinyl for hours you know i did want to get into vinyl with you but i mean we're gonna to have to split you up on a two-parter <laughs> <laughs> well we could we could do that another time yeah, we'll do you, that when, another I, when time. I have the big metal edge news we'll come on we'll talk about vinyl and we'll talk about metal edge that works next. that works i saw i saw your your photo of your living room or wherever with all your vinyl and i was like oh yeah yeah on social that i posted yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. yeah but yeah we'll do it all right buddy all right it was good talking to you and we'll talk again soon yes Keep in touch that's all for this week. Join us next week for another episode of the Rock and Roll and Coffee Show podcast. Available on all your favorite podcast listening platforms.